0: Well, hi everybody. Welcome to Stratus Stratosphere Lounge. I'm your host, Bill Whittle, and the regular cl- crowd is uh, starting to slowly file in here. It's five o'clock on a Saturday, uh, and I um, hope everybody's doing well. I'm sorry about uh, being able to have to postpone this again from last night, but I did get uh, all of episode 12 pretty much out the door, and 13's all that's left, and then that'll be done, 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 Um. So, uh, that was uh, a fun day. Um, other than that, I really don't think there's too much going on. So, um, the show's made possible by the members of build.com. Thanks very much for joining us, and we'll see you next time, uh, right here on uh, The us for Um So, anyway, um, yeah, I think I'll probably just dive right into the questions. I did see uh, one thing. I had a chance, uh, hey, Clay, I had a chance to um, actually be working on the uh, major mace mattingly stuff is uh i really like that lander that we showed last time i'm not going to do too much of that i'll save that for monday but i really liked it and start to break that down to detail that it's something like um i don't know two thousand three thousand little individual pieces you had like bolts everywhere and i just had to kind of attach them to each other so it became manageable so when i go out and texture it um that will presumably uh help it's going kind to of look good it's got a lot of detail and I just really 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 like the shape on it it's just exactly what I was looking for so uh, kit bashing is fun I think the I need to widen the landing legs a little bit give it a little more of a, lower the center gravity just a wee bit um, and that's uh, that's that Marusha wants to know is uh, D is for Denton permanently dead in lieu of major mace mattingly uh, no um, it's not it's just that one's going to require. Um, that's going to require more uh, exposure. I think That's a lot of work there. Um, so, you know, we we'll just finish it as we put some time in it as it goes. Uh, what the heck am I looking for here? Um, come on, baby, you can do it. Yeah, yeah, man. So, um, you know, it's just, I just, uh, and Natasha feels this way too. She just doesn't have enough time in the day. Neither do I. We're just like, come on. So there's all kinds of things to do. Um, Other than that, um, it's been, you know, it's uh, it's a loud loud and raucous day here in uh, Lake Wobegon. Gangs of streets, tufts burning down buildings and uh, schools being set on fire. alcoholics passing out in the middle of the town square and, and of course people defecating on the street corners. It's just a just another day here in uh, Lake Wobegon uh, and um, I used to listen to that show quite a lot and uh, things have uh, changed considerably since then although I don't think Garrison Keillor would admit it frankly. Um, so um, yeah, I guess that's uh, about it. I, oh, I remember what I was going to say. Um, <laughs> yes, Steve will, Warriors, come out and play. That was an ad-lib line, believe it or not. It's the best line in the movie. Um, and uh, I remember that movie very well. It made an impression on me. So I guess, you know, what we'll do is we'll just jump right into those, um, to those questions. It's just unheard of. Except that I keep forgetting to mention the only one thing I did have to say, uh, and that is I saw on Odin's management a return to uh YouTube <clears throat> um, I saw him talking about a video. It was this probably this twenty one year old male. He looked like he'd had the same kind of surgery as uh, you know, the, the, the person whose name was uh is uh offence now because, uh, you know, because of the catastrophe. Um, but this guy and I'm, I'm actually going to I'm going to grab this TikTok because I want to actually have these uh, these astronauts comment on this. And so it's a very gay young man and he is a uh, well, young male anyway. And um, he's got that kind of, you know, sing song sort of lith- that little sing song kind of voice. And um, and he's talking about how he's go- he he's trying to find um, a fashion. He f- he's trying to find what to wear uh, because he wants to. Um, I don't think celebrate was the word. I think he just said it's 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 a, you know it's Pearl Harbor, and and Pearl Harbor was a, was a sea battle. So I should be wearing blue, some kind of blue. Uh, because it was a sea battle, but you know how much I love camouflage, so I have to have the camouflage in there. Uh, So he's got a blue shirt on and camouflage pants, and he said, I know this happened back in the 1960s and stuff, and I'm just thinking, man, we have come a long way uh, since uh, December 7th, 1941, and I'm not digging all of it at all. I, I just really just, that actually offended me a lot, because... You just want to stand in front of these uh, vets you know the dearly departed vets and just um you know i, I just want to apologize to them and say yeah that yeah, happened on my watch but they don't um i don't know i don't know it was it was just so casual and so it was a sea battle you know so i want to wear something blue and, um, and you know how much I love camouflage, so I had, to work, I had to find some camo. So here I am. I've got this blue. I've got this blue blouse on, and I've got this camo pants. And I think I look just terrific for my for my Pearl Harbor uh, battle outfit or something. Uh, yeah, maybe you want to go with uh, red on that one. You know, like like just kind of a blood red. Um, and uh, good lord. Anyway, so that was that. And also somewhere on that same thing or, or another one he did, there's another guy with this really kind of almost like chiseled face, just too perfect. He was amazed that we drank out of fire hoses. He said, what, you couldn't go inside and drink out of the sink? You couldn't come inside and drink out of the sink? Uh, no, um, we, uh, we, we didn't go inside uh, because we were outside. And drinking out of hoses is awesome. And if you've ever been really, really thirsty, and you never have, but if you've ever been really, because you've never, you know, been outside, if you've ever been really, really thirsty, water from a hose is the best water I ever had. Uh, if you're really, really thirsty, that'll that'll do it. Uh, somebody mentioned the the camo Bud Light can. Uh, there, honestly, I'm I'm more offended by um, anheuser Bush's response to this debacle than I am to the debacle. So after the um, after the, the video with Flags and Horses, um, then they've come up with something new. By the way, John Hansen who's obviously been there, says, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Steve Whoop, sorry, it said, uh, did I get this right? Steve Whoop, sorry, yeah, said, you gotta, when you're going to drink out of the hose, you got to wait for it to get cool first. got to run that hot water out of there, otherwise you burn your lips, that stuff can get pretty hot. Um, so they're going to, um, they're trying um, camouflage bottles now. And it doesn't even say Budweiser now. Now it just says America, and then below that it's something like our brave troops, and it's and it's like it's all American. And um, and I just honestly, honestly, I've had the reason this is so annoying to me is because I've had this experience for three, four, oh God, longer than that now, probably seven, eight weeks with trying to get this Cold War, uh, Cold War edited. Absolutely. What's his name? Um, CB. Um, and uh, and so we, we've been working with editors who don't know the difference between World War One footage, Vietnam footage. They don't know anything about anything. An airplane is an airplane. A bomb is a bomb. Uh, 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 an explosion is an explosion. And it's just really quite alarming uh, we're going to interrupt this program for our late breaking news um, uh, bulletin uh, Edward Bradley father of Clay Bradley our, our, our good friend here and, and associate and colleague is uh, having a birthday today so um, I guess he gets a happy birthday shout out from me and from everybody else uh, in the uh, YouTube comment section so um, so uh, Ed if you just put your if you just put your ear up to the monitor and listen carefully; you'll probably be able to hear the the, the, the just the, the roar of the cheers. But um, happy birthday to you, Ed, and um, and uh, we're very very glad it's your birthday. Not so impressed with Clay, generally speaking, but you seem like a nice fellow. Uh, so, in any event, that's that's that. But the, so so these guys just they, they just and and happy birthday to you, Ed. So these guys just chuck anything that they think will work for the for the rubes, you know. Uh, here's some flags, here's some horses, here's cowboys, here's a uh, uh, here's uh, uh, camouflage, here's army. You, you, you don't hate the army, do you? Look, it doesn't even say Budweiser anymore. It says America. You like America, don't you? You'll drink it now that it says America on it, and that it says support our troops or whatever the hell it says. It's the most cynical, low, wretched, tone-deaf thing ever. And uh, for those of you who have not seen the Miller Lite commercial, that's much worse. That's much worse, in my opinion, than than the Dylan uh, Bud Light thing. Because if you haven't seen the Miller Lite ad, um, it's a woman, it's it's a a quote unquote, um, comedian who uh, was on the Stephen Colbert show and said, you know, Stephen, I've been watching you for years and I have to say you're, you're like about the only white male I can stand. Uh, You're about the only one I can tolerate. Wow. That's nice. Um, anyway, so she comes out in a, um, in a uh, brewery with, you know, a couple oak barrels stacked up against the walls, as, as, as Anheuser-Busch does, as they're wont to do when they brew their beer, you know. They, they, um, they, it's a microbrewery. Uh, and, and basically comes out and says um, that uh, beer was invented by women and brewed mostly by women which is just plain out wrong. It's just not true. Um, and uh, and so she says, so women invented beer, and what did we get for it? And then she walks up to a picture of a woman in bikini. You tell him he's welcome, Clay. I'm very, very happy birthday for him. Uh, and, and it's a poster of this woman in a bikini from an old Bud Light. I says, we put them in bikinis. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, they put... Her in a bikini I didn't put you in a bikini. We're not idiots, you know. Um, and I'm looking at all these, and so they're, basically they're saying um, uh, they're going to take the bad s word. I feel like a child saying that, but I don't want to go to the trouble of bleeping it out. It's just I just don't. Um, and, and we're gonna we're gonna take all the bad stuff and we're gonna turn it into good stuff. We're gonna take all of these posters and ads that were so degrading of women, with um, with uh, you know. Um. uh, There, you know, bikinis and all the rest of it, and we're going to mulch it. We're going to use that mulch to um, make high-level soil, and then and this was a subtle little thing. I don't know if anybody else caught it. So they got so so um so uh uh what's the word I'm looking for? I've got half of it. I got the harpy part. Uh, Lecturing harpy uh, comes out and tells us that uh, women are responsible for brewing beer and that you know basically. Men just had nothing to do with it except to, to drink the stuff and get 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 blasted. not a bad way to go, by the way. Um, and then they, then she says, one woman who's an actress, a Hollywood actress, says, "Then we take the stuff. We're going to compost, com, compost, compos, compost it, compost it." And that's going to make worms, and then we're going to make topsoil. So then you see another woman, and she's got the topsoil, and she's planting it around the hops, and, and she looks almost like she she's it almost looks like she's had her hands dirty once in her life before. I got a feeling the second they cut it's like oh my god, I must I've got to get I've got to get a, a, a sanitizer on this. But then they said, and then those hops, then they go to this third woman who's a, a black woman who's a, a, beer, a big beer brewer. She says, and then the hops are donated to women so that they can go out and continue to make more beer. That's what they said and um and i thought why do they have to donate it you know why would they have to donate it uh it doesn't make sense if, if these women are such great amazing fantastic uh, beer drinkers then you'd think that they wouldn't have to donate it you'd think that they'd be able to pay for it So, excuse me one second. Just got something I got to take care of here. A little something in my eye here. Hang on a minute. Almost there. Sorry about this. Uh, just momentary uh, distraction here. Give me one second. Uh, okay, almost there. that did it I think that did it looks like it did it yeah Um, uh, don't worry he's been uh, nuked Um, I actually one of the options I had there was to put him in a timeout and I thought about that I gave that serious thought Uh, somebody in the uh, YouTube comment section uh, made an appearance with the same kind of you know highly developed intellectual sort of Response that you get to get to get used to um, from the left. In any event, um, that didn't take very long, uh, and, um, and 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 I, I thought about the timeout because I'm I'm sure he had a few of them, uh, but in any event, uh, he's gone. So amazing how easy that is, really. Um, why don't you go have another Bud Light, pal? Uh, so anyway they' they 're talking about uh, this this thing and we donate it to women really that 's interesting usually donations go to charity cases. you would think that you know you'd actually if these women are so successful at brewing beer then you'd think they wouldn 't need a donation anyway um, it's uh, it 's kind of uh, it's kind of interesting to watch how many little nooks and crannies uh they can reach in terms of trying to just uh just basically destroy the culture um hey there's uh there's ed saying thank you for all these shout outs um and blessings to all so what a fine fellow! uh wasn't the slightest bit surprised thank you for that ed that's great um so um marisha points out of course uh, as always marisha knows the, the dark corners of everything uh, points out that, uh, women actually brewed beer for their men at home. That's true. I don't doubt that. Um, original Plankata says, I'm a lefty who got nuked. You're not, they didn't get nuked because they're a lefty. They got nuked because they're dipshit. I have no problem with left-wingers. I have no problem with anybody, you know, but when people come right in, uh, and immediately start peeing on the carpet, then they're shown the door. And, uh, it was actually kind of fun. Um, so anyway, um, it's interesting to watch how everything is is trying to be remolded by the ministry of truth. This is why I, I've talked about this before. I don't want to get too much into it. But George Orwell's understanding of what this whole process is, he wasn't timed out. He was nuked. Um, I, I'm, I'm done with timeouts. I go directly to nuclear weapons at this point. Um, it uh, tied the room together Uh, yeah it's just it's just interesting to see wow look at that it wasn't that nice Um, Miriam uh, Bertram with a hundred dollars super chat thank you my father was on USS Pennsylvania at Pearl Harbor thanks yeah Uh uh-huh I'm not being facetious with you uh, Miriam on the contrary I I when I see people like this, I, honest to God, don't want any harm to come to them. Although God knows that's an effort on my part, but I, I genuinely mean it. Uh, I realize, and the only reason I mean it is because I want to smack those people. So, so I want to smack them in the next county. But, but if you go down that path, then you just become, you just become like them, just angry and, and violent and, and, and dangerous. So I don't want this guy for in the blue shirt with his, uh, with his Pearl Harbor battle uh, uniform on. I don't want anything bad to happen to him long term, but I would very, very, very much like for him to be inside one of those battleships when it capsized and find himself upside down in the water for some of them lasted for 10 days and they couldn't get them out because they could hear them rapping on the side of the hull but the only way to get to them was to cut the hull open and they're below the water line. there is no saving them the guards who were there these are these were actual real men you know not not our fashion model here um, and 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 these grown men were just weeping you know in, in the days after Pearl Harbor they're just weeping because they could hear people banging on the hull their friends and and crying out and shouting and begging for help and there's not a damn thing anybody could do for them nothing they just couldn't have done anything um and so i just want that guy to be in that situation i want him to get out of it i don't want anything permanent to happen to him i just want him to i just want him to see there. and i also would like him actually to have been there on um maybe on uss johnston and taffy three i'd like him to i'd like him to be in the next room when a shell hits a compartment on board a destroyer and blows the person in there through a spring mattress, through the metal frames and springs of a spring mattress. I want him to see that firsthand. And I want, I want him to get that concussion, and I want him to smell that smell, which is the smell of blood and death and feces and everything else. I, wa- I want all of it. I just want him to experience it, and then I want him to be okay. But I want him to experience it in a big way, in a big, 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 big way. Um, because I suspect that after, uh, a, I don't know, day or two, uh, in the, in the capsized hull of a battleship in total darkness, I get the feeling he'd probably take this subject a little more seriously. Um, so anyway, uh, Miriam, uh, thank you very much for telling me about that. And, and thank you for the Pennsylvania and, um, the, um, Oh my goodness gracious! Look, there's a leak around the, the edges here. Uh, I know who this is. This this internet tough guy's back. It's actually I know it's my friend. He's just pulling my uh, pulling my chain for a while here. It's not going to work though, actually. Uh, so, thank you, If You can just kind of stay on that. You know the, the 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 problem with cockroach infestation is it's virtually impossible to get rid of it once they appear um and uh nevertheless that's what that's what bugs brace for um so anyway there's there's uh there's all of that and they don't um they don't have a clue not a clue um my grandfather was on the USS Maryland when it was kamikaze obviously he survived you know um those battleships uh, the, the the Maryland Pennsylvania uh, I want to see California a couple others they were so fuel hungry they just drank so much fuel and even at top speed I think they may might do twenty two knots twenty three knots uh, I did a moving back to America about that called um, I think called the Second Fleet all of the all of the battleships that went uh, that were attacked and sank uh, or capsized in Pearl Harbor were 1915 1920 vintage i want to say arizona was commissioned somewhere around 1916 something like that and um and they just couldn't keep up so we got i think seven i think seven battleships were were hit badly hit i know we weren't able to save two of them we 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 uncapsized i think it was oklahoma from memory anyway so they went to enormous amounts of trouble and successfully got those um, battleships, basically got them them righted, plugged the holes, sent the, I think, five of them to the West Coast for repairs and refitting, putting a radar on them and all the rest of that stuff. And then by the time they were done with that, they couldn't keep up with the fleet. In 1943, the U.S. Navy basically didn't do anything. They just kind of held on they no big no major offensives or anything couple of landings Pilelu was probably I think 43 but basically the Navy Navy didn't do anything because they were waiting for them to build carriers there's a time when it was just the USS Enterprise versus the Empire of Japan but but at the end of 1943 they had 12 aircraft carriers finished they got those things built in a year unbelievable unbelievable and um and so it looked like, well, these have gone to all this trouble to raise these old battleships, and now they can't keep up with the fleet. And um, even if they could, they're just so fuel thirsty; we just can't afford it. And um, and then it turned out they actually served a very, very, very important purpose. After all, they were basically mobile battleships. I, I mean, mobile um, artillery. That's what they were good. That's what they were good at. And they probably, if you think about it accomplished a lot more good than the newer ships because the newer ships like the Iowa uh, never got into a uh, a shooting match that I'm aware of. USS Washington beat a, uh, a Japanese battleship, the only one-on-one battleship fight during the entire war uh, off the waters of Guadalcanal, but... Even though those new those four super battleships, the um, Iowa class battleships, were just so amazing, I don't know that they ever really fired their guns against any other surface vessels. So it's the old it was the old you know, glorious queens of of the of the mud from Pearl Harbor that basically just nuked the living daylights out of um, out of all of them, you know, Saipan, Tinian, Guam, Iwo, Okinawa, and uh and when those um, when those guns would go off, they literally would would blow the clothes off of people. It was, it was some somebody. Uh, it was it wasn't even on the Iowa. It was on an older battleship like California or something. They fired the three main guns, and there was a door that was open that wasn't supposed to be open. And the overpressure blew the commanding officer's clothes off his body. Just blew him off. Of him. Uh, so. Yeah, Kentucky. I know there was a battleship fight, but I think the only one-on-one battleship there was a there was an enormous battleship fight in um, in uh, Battle of Suriago Strait and uh, Battle of Lady Gulf, where um, two obsolete Japanese battleships and a powerful cruiser tried to make a run up the south, and uh, we hit them with torpedo boats, and then we hit them with destroyers, and the destroyers did probably most of the damage. And then then the cruisers, and then behind them all um, were the Six or seven battleships and pounded those guys into into a, uh, a you know pretty distant memory. But the only time I think they've ever just gone slugged it out was the Washington and I want to say the Hiei. Maybe, or maybe it was the, or maybe it was the uh, Yamashiro. Anyway, it was a Japanese battleship. Um, uh, thank you very much for that, Stephen. Um, so. Uh, well, uh, Tim Pierce says my uncle would talk about the funny head in boot camp, but wouldn't say a word about the Pacific. See, that's the thing. Um, the things that these people saw that are, that my parents' generation saw, many of our grandparents, um, they didn't talk about it because there was no language for it. Kirishima. Thank you, John. Um. There is no language for it. You, you, there's no describing what you, what you see. However, since we're here, give me one second. Um, Internet tough guys here are back again. I got I, to I give, give him credit for for being um, willing to keep writing up new accounts. And he spells tough with a T-U-F-F, much as a little girl would. Um, but in any event, um, Marisha, can you just jump on this clown? Uh, thank you. Um, I was going to say there's no way to describe it, but actually there is. So hang on one second. Um, by all means, keep trying, by the way, uh, Tuffy. Uh, so here's by weird coincidence um, I'm reading another rereading a book by James Hornfisher who wrote the uh, the amazing um, Last Stand of the Tin Can Sailors and he quoted somebody um, it was a guy it was an officer a US officer and he wrote and, and his destroyer got ripped up and he, he wrote a, a poem about it and he's actually a pretty skilled poet, and I just need to find that here. Um, give me one second. I'm not terrific with reading poetry, but this thing, you want to know what it's like to be in, and kind of live in hell out on the ocean, then, you know, then that's that. Um, here we go. Okay, so um, for those of you that, uh, you know, want to... Uh, Get some kind of idea about this. Um, so this guy, uh, Lieutenant Jumper, um, took over for the um, for the after the the, uh, the senior officers on the Norman Scott, a destroyer. Which incidentally, Norman Scott was the hero of the cruiser action, uh, the second big battle off of. Uh, Savo Island and Guadalcanal and Iron Bottom Sound so they, he was killed in combat and uh, they needed to destroy after him and that destroyer took a beating too so um, this is Lieutenant Jumper and I'll try and give it some I won't be able to do it justice but this is what he wrote about, uh, about being in combat and having shells fired at you and possibly kamikazes as well so here's what he wrote he wrote um suppose i could create for you the horror of it make you see build with more than weakling words the structure of this agony the deck inch deep in clotted blood like cranberries gelled the blinding stench of butchery explosion fire soft water like a stifling fusion think with your nostrils of the smells of ammonia burning rags an inland bay when the tide is out and the quivering viscera of a just-clean trout. Solid steel, you thought, crumbling like snowflakes dropping into a bonfire, 40-millimeter shelves madly popping beneath your feet in gargantuan Chinese New Year's festival, the ominous ching from geysers that sprout from the sea all about you, the helm spinning wantonly like a reckless gaming wheel, the telephone suddenly dumb like interlopers on a private grief, the slow, implacable turning towards the waiting reef. The bubbling plea there from the midst of the jagged growths like kelp of twisted steel, don't leave me here, for God's sake, help me, take me out of here. You can't. That was your cabin mate. Another, there, the mouthpiece of the battle telephone plunged into the curve of the classic jaw, the forehead perforated like a pumpkin caught beneath a hay rake, a shapeless blue clay pile where fat metallic flies explore the slate gray of a shattered smile. Suppose I could explode all this before you, only a claim in part even against my war. By some strange power could catch your heart in tentacles of terror, not with pale symbols, but with the wrenching gauntness of reality. You too might sense the crouching madness, but would you be the wiser? Where the gain. I cannot change the part of you or me or all mankind, the atavistic self that solves all riddles with I am the center and about me, the universe revolves. Yeah, so think with your nostrils. That's no wonder that these guys didn't talk about these things when they got back, you know? Um, I, 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 I almost said I don't know how they did it, but I do know how they did it, and um, they did it because they had to do it. There was a guy um, on was on, was on Saipan, and there was a pretty serious inter-service um, rivalry between the Marines and the Army on Saipan, and the Marines kept saying the Army wasn't moving fast enough, and so the Army decided they had to get their button gear. And so uh, this one guy who was an Army commander told his... his uh, he was probably a captain. He told a lieutenant, there's a friend of his, he says, uh, you know, Dave, you're just going to have to go in there and you're going to have to try and take that valley. And he looked back at him and he said, um, okay, hi, well, I know there's nothing you can do about it. I know you can't help it. And he reached out and shook his hand and said, I just want you, just wanted to let you know it was a pleasure knowing you and an honor serving with you. And he turned around, let his guys in there, 15 minutes, they were all dead. So that's, the kind of thing that uh, now the guy who I mentioned this conversation with um, he's going to have to um, find something a little more green if he's going to be doing his uh, Saipan costume um, green and red and um, and again somebody wants to know the name of the the poet I'll, I'll get it for you again here I don't know the name of the poem it's the the book is um, the Fleet at Flood Tide by James Hornfisher. The um, I'm trying to use for him. Yeah. Um, junior Grade in the Norman Scott command devolved to a junior grade lieutenant while the exec was having his wounds treated in triage. Steering with engines will see jumper. Condor ahead of the Cleveland to seaward flying flags to indicate that she lost steering, was suffering serious fires. Still, the crews of her four undamaged guns returned fire in local control. The destroyer McDermott came alongside and loaned out her medical team. The Cleveland maintained rapid fire, counter-marching suddenly to throw off enemy fire, then stopped her engines. Basically, this uh, the Cleveland parked itself between the guns and the destroyer, to took the hits to protect these guys that were just getting the snot pounded out of them. The battery appeared to neutralize neutralized. The fires raging around it touched ammunition from time to time, producing impressive explosions throughout the rest of the day. After her fighter fires prevailed and her engineers restored power, Lieutenant Jumper got the Norman Scott moving, steering with her engines. Shortly after 8, Admiral Hill ordered to clear the area and return to Saipan. So this couldn't have been Saipan. This must have been... It was off Saipan. It was probably, bef- probably between Saipan and EVO. So I guess he went back to the the newly acquired harbor. Bearing 19 dead and 27 seriously wounded, she retired at her best speed. A poet of considerable talent, Jumper would write more than once about the morning of July 24th, 1944. So the thing about this that people really should bear in mind, I try to bear in mind all the time, is yes, that's an amazing uh, man, an amazing poet, and I wonder what kind of poetry could have come out of that war, and what kind of novels and narratives and even potentially movies could have come out of that war except that the guys who were these brilliant writers had their young lives shot out from underneath them by the time they were 20, you know. How many scientists did we lose? You know, how many how many great athletes? How many writers? How many movie stars? How many of, of all just how many of them just gone? Um, So uh, this is why I do the history series that I do because because somebody has to uh, remember this and, and and somebody has to tell these stories in, in a way that um, that's not afraid to look at the, the horror of it you can't appreciate the heroism without the horror I was talking with a guy who um, wrote the book on Frank Luke and he was dealing with it as a guy trying, who, who conclusively solved a great um, mystery, a historical mystery. And I was coming at the story from uh point of view of a guy who's gonna write a movie that people, hopefully write a movie that people will wanna go see. And th- the discussion came down to, um, by the time Frank Luke flew his final mission, there was so much pressure on him, he was gonna be court-martialed when he got back to the field, And so, um, so this author who I admire very much and who I like very much, I've only talked to him for a couple hours, but I really enjoyed it, said Luke didn't have any choice. He just, you know, he had to fly the mission. He was out of options. And my response to that was, well, he, he must have had a choice somewhere. He has to have had a choice because if he doesn't make a decision, then his fate is, he's not the author of his own destiny. He's just a, he's just a. A steer going down a cattle chute in an abattoir he has to make a decision somewhere to do this thing and he certainly must have so we got to find that moment without inventing anything because uh, working with this guy steve i'm so much in agreement with him i don't remember exactly what he said but he said when comes time for frank luke to pull his his automatic he said if, if he pulls out a i'm, I'm going to get this wrong but he said something to the effect of if he pulls out a, a forty five, uh, you know, C model or something like that instead of the original version or something, the enthusiasts will be, you know, pissed off, and I don't blame them. So that's the kind of level of detail work that that I'm committed to doing. If we can get this thing going, looks like we probably will. I hope so. But that that is it. We 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 hit it off so well in that first conversation because we both just completely agreed that. There is nothing you can do to these stories to improve them. There's nothing that you can add to make them more interesting or more dramatic than what actually factually happened. And and so we need to see enough of the horror so that Luke and, and, and his uh, exploits why they're remembered. But to his enormous credit, uh, the, the author, Stephen, enormous credit he said this this story is about what happens inside the inside the squadron and that's great because that means that you're you've got a you've got a genuine interesting drama that's wrapped in a world war one action movie instead of a world war one action movie that has nothing at the core nothing and we both referenced uh, this movie came out i don't know 2007 or something called Flyboys which was just just awful you know and the reason it was awful is because I don't remember anything about it not a thing they did one called did one about the Red Baron too I think it was a German production just a few years after that was a little better but but Flyboys was just one walking cliche after another and this thing was really really interesting Uh, Eric asked who your ideal casting for Frank Luke would be I don't know Uh, I'm i I really am convinced that this is the kind of thing where we have to find uh, an actor. Because, first of all, this guy's got to be, you know, twenty, and um, and he his his face changes so much. There's a picture of him graduating flight school, and then there's a picture of him uh, a little less than a year later, and he looks like his looks like the father of the guy that graduated flight school. Um, so. Anyway, um, people need to people need to see these stories, um, and and that's why history is not only not taught. That's why it's been, you know, perverted into this. Yeah, you know, the history of America's slavery. It's you know we 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 invented slavery here in America, and uh, and um, you know, that's that. I'm just a little tired of it. All right, so finally, I said, um, um, time to do some questions. So let's see what we got here. Ah, jeez. let's see. Um, who's that idiot? Oh, it's me. Um. hang on okay here we go so members forum yes yes I'm liking it so far keep it coming what this forum needs is a talking dog whoops wrong one sorry there's nothing that a talking dog won't fix or improve if you think about it uh, here we go And thank you once again to Marusha and and, and everybody else, you know, that curates this thing for me. I really very much appreciate it. Um, So uh, let's see what we got here. Well, here's one from Marusha herself, and we will be happy to take this one. Um, Topic, uh, WEF, double agents. That would be the World Economic Foundation, I'm assuming. Um, I saw a tweet about Linda... Ecarino potentially replacing Elon Musk as CEO of Twitter, along with a screenshot of her LinkedIn account that suggests she has dealings with the World Economic Forum. However, at least on the surface, it appears that Elon Musk is doing everything he can to oppose them and their globalist takeover. Well, that's interesting. I had heard that that Musk had tapped somebody who was tremendously woke, and uh, uh, given that one sentence, I was pretty disappointed with that. But if he's fighting it, what does that say I guess anyway anybody know um, so does he have a he if he had a majority of stock he wouldn't have to fight right does he have a plurality is that what it is I don't know I don't know what his position is with regard to the Twitter stock something I've been wondering for a while is are there any double agents within the wef as in pro-liberty people who go there just to see who's there and what they see behind closed doors in order to plan a counteroffensive. For those of you who don't know the world uh, brackets, those of you who are not familiar with the World Economic Forum, this is Klaus uh, Schwab and his uh, advanced team of uh, crack uh, uh, transhumanist and, uh, and uh, globalists and, um, and elitist uh, swine that meet once a year in Davos, Switzerland, and I'm sure they put on their robes and I have no doubt whatsoever they bring out various rituals that involve blood uh anyway back to the question so is there any uh, any moles basically think james o'keefe sending undercover reporters or eric weinstein reporting recounting his trip to epstein island and how he found it utterly repulsive such such that now he openly calls for exposing and dismantling the whole operation i have to imagine there are people like that regarding the wef as well as well if not why not well, I would say that the security for the WEF in terms of that kind of thing is is, um, is a good deal tougher than the, the security on getting to Epstein Island. It seemed to me that anybody who showed some interest and had some uh, reasonable amount of influence found themselves on that um, plane. Uh, I was, actually, I was really quite surprised uh, to see Stephen Colbert's name on that list, allegedly. I wasn't su- uh, surprised that Stephen Colbert was... On the list so much as i was surprised that he had that kind of clout to be honest with you um uh anyway back to this um i find it highly unlikely that elon was never invited to any of those meetings at davos i'm sure he was invited uh being the richest man in the world after all with his hands in so many pies yet either he's playing the world's best long conduct us into false sense of security or he's genuinely opposed to them and maybe knows other people like that too. Personally, I'm inclined to trust him and I'm opposed and am opposed to the WEF. I agree with that, uh, trust but verify, I agree with it. Trump appointed many people who were later a disappointment and there were probably decent people who worked at Enron or Lehman Brothers who had nothing to do with their collapse. It, that would still be on their resumes, not saying that his choice of CEO is or isn't such a person. She may well undo everything he's done to improve the site or maybe she breaks the mold. Maybe we can remain cautiously optimistic, but also consider questioning our immediate impulse at hearing the phrase World Economic Forum and rejecting anything and everything it touches outright. Otherwise, it just seems like yet another way to control us with a big bad boogeyman. What do you think? Well, I think as far as big bad boogeymen go, there's a pretty compelling case that the World Economic Forum is uh, is in fact one of them and that, um, and that uh, he... Um, that the pressure to be there is really quite great. Let me just get this before I forget. Cody Fett with the $10 Super Chat. Thank you, Cody. I admit that me and my Japanese friend used to talk about World War II history a lot. Used to. The horror of the war is worse when you're talking to someone who wouldn't exist if your guys had done better. Um, yeah, but that's also true for you too. You wouldn't exist if their guys had done better. Um, that was a... Uh, that was a... That was a that was a fight to the death. Is what that was. That was full on total war, and um, and so anyway, there's that. Uh, so anyway, about the um, about the, the whole Elon Musk thing. I don't know why. I have not seen Elon Musk do anything that that struck me as in, inexplicably reckless or stupid. Um, he went. He spent a significant amount of money buying his way into Twitter, and then he immediately released all of the internal memos and did it in such a way as to get it to journalists who could make something out of it. Um, I'm sorry to say that it doesn't really matter even anymore if you had a piece, even if you did have a press corps, you, if you don't have uh, a Justice Department, there's very little you can do, but he, he seemed to go 100% all out um oh okay um dwayne Cates has an update uh so in any event uh, elon musk is a wolf in sheep's clothing he may be dong. but if he is he's our wolf and we can use a wolf or two um dwayne kate says i researched her background it's clickbait elon hired her to assist in a startup of twitter streaming services so maybe she has technical knowledge and so on. Um, I, anyway, my point is, I don't see Elon Musk going to the trouble that he went to, to simply just hand it over to somebody to just turn it back into what it was. I just don't see any, any point in that at all. I I, I just don't see how that goes. Um, I believe, I believe that he is the real deal. Uh, I don't blindly believe it, but just as an example he's the only person that I've heard who moves in those circles, who's talking about AI as something other than, gee, it's going to be the greatest thing ever. I mean, when when you've got Elon Musk out there basically saying, AI is the most dangerous threat to the world right now. That is a guy who is swimming upstream against all the rest of his high tech uh, uh, cohort. And that's, that's evidence, in my opinion. Uh, and so I've just, seen, I've just seen him step up to the things that, that, he, that I hoped he'd step up to. And if he had gone to Davos, I would have been disappointed, but um, he didn't. So we'll see. Now, as far as this person he hired, um, uh, uh, Dwayne says that she's just a, assisting in a startup for streaming. So apparently um, she's not gonna be taking over Twitter Because, like I said, I can't see any reason for him to to have done that. It really just doesn't make any sense. Frankly, it sounded like if he was going to take over Twitter uh, or or give up Twitter, he would have given it to Tucker Carlson. Um, And by the way, um, him basically providing a platform for Tucker Carlson is about as solid a bona fide as as I could think of. Um, The term I came up with, I just really liked it may not be unique to me, but I liked it. I said, you know, Tucker Carlson's not hurting for money. Tucker Carlson's a multimillionaire. He's a rich guy, but he doesn't have society changing money. And Elon Musk does. Elon Musk has the kind of money to change society. Elon Musk has the kind of money to basically put another, an entire platform out there. I like to think that the long-term future for Twitter is to turn Twitter into something a bit like a bit like YouTube, with um, I think I think he's trying to 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 get Twitter into a place where it will at least seriously compete with um, with YouTube, because YouTube is you know at least here it's the biggest problem uh, for us and for the rest of these people out there. Um, he. Um, The, the, the genius of, of buying Twitter is, as everybody knows, the network effect is is the idea that the network is only as valuable as the number of people that are in it. You could have the best social network in the world, and if nobody's there, nobody cares. And it's, it's getting people to the new network that's virtually impossible. That's why Rumble isn't taken off. I haven't been aware of Rumble editing anything that anyone has ever said ever. And that's great. And you would think that it would be more successful than it is, but it's not. It's, it's, it's badly designed. It's kludgy to run. We post all our videos up there and it takes, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not as easy as YouTube, not nearly, but, but you get to say what you want to, um, Scott first says, uh, you can now upload a two hour video on Twitter. That's where I think, that's where I think it's going and And if he turns Twitter into a means of distributing videos, in addition to keeping it as Twitter, I've never, ever, ever, ever have I ever uh, felt the desire to open the Twitter app. To me, it's just plain, I don't want to say pointless, it's certainly dangerous. Um, It's dangerous for me. Because I don't want my first take of things going out there and, and and all I see from Twitter is people you know having to eat their words and I I just it just doesn't do anything for me. It's just to me it's just like a giant argument pit. I don't need it. I don't want to waste my time I have enough time as it is to, to just go stand in a room with people yelling at each other. But some people live by it and Andrew Breitbart, I think died by it. he he couldn't put it down. He would stay up at three o'clock in the morning argue with some barista from St. Louis about something. And I just don't, I just don't care. Um, but if he turns Twitter into a video streaming platform, which is exactly what I was thinking he would be doing and exactly what he seems to be doing, then you get the network effect because Twitter has millions of users. And if you can if you can get videos up on Twitter, now YouTube's got an actual problem. And if it turns out that... Um, that he keeps it a free speech platform. I'm not saying that Elon Musk should not ban or, or Twitter should not ban anybody. There are There are no limits on free speech. I, I completely believe that. But there are limits to things that you can say in public. And I don't think any discussions about uh, coronavirus or any of the political stuff crosses that line, but somebody who's just spewing nothing but you know rage and hatred, even then they should be. Look, here's what I'm saying: they're still allowed to do it. They can say they can say whatever they want to, but there is some some degree of decorum required in in this thing. Not much, but if he turns it into a free, a free speech platform, then we've got a real chance. So. He seems to be doing that pretty fast. All right, let's see. Um, Trevor Drool. Hey, Trevor. Hey, Bill. The renaming of certain army bases is in full swing. I'm of a divided mind on the issue. On the one hand, we probably shouldn't have named them after Confederate generals who could be considered traitors. On the other hand, it didn't seem necessary. Show me the people who were actually hurt by it being named Fort Bragg, Hood, Lee, etc. Can you help me with this? At least more people are being named after Medal of Honor recipients. Uh, At least most are being named after Medal of Honor recipients. Um, The argument in terms of keeping it is, is that is that Robert E. Lee was an American tactical genius, and uh, and it's true that he used that tact- uh, strategic genius too, that he used that against uh, the government. That the, the the just taking Robert E. Lee as an example. As many of you probably know, Lee was approached to command the Northern armies. He was the first choice of Lincoln to command the nor- the Northern armies, and. Lee said he couldn't do it, Lee, and what Lee said was so interesting and so important. Lee said, I cannot raise my sword against my country. And when he said against my country, he meant Virginia. So to the degree that he was a traitor against the United States, that's true, but he never considered the United States to be his country. He considered Virginia to be his country, and that's the way things were prior to the Civil War and, and for some time after that as well. Um, so... Look, the Civil War. There's an astonishing lack of atrocities in the Civil War, a really astonishing lack of them. There are a couple of jayhawkers out in Kansas. Bleeding Kansas was a guerrilla warfare mess. But as a general rule, after the war was over, you had this enormous rebellion, killed nearly a million Americans together on both sides of a country that had a population of, what, 30, 40 million at the time? And, And... the only retribution that happened after the Civil War was they um, hanged the commandant of um, of that uh, prisoner of war camp. Its name is something, it's just somethingville. Just slipped out of my head. Um, because people in there were starving to death. They looked like they'd come out of the Holocaust. American soldiers, Union soldiers, were looked exactly like people coming out of uh, Nazi death camp. Uh, Andersonville um and um and so they hanged him but the vice president of the Confederacy Stevens Alexander Stevens after the Civil War went back to Congress you know Lee um, applied for a pardon and I don't think was issued one um, he uh, here's see so this is this is why this is a nuanced thing so Robert E Lee had so much credibility so much cred he had so much respect and admiration among the, the south that they would have done whatever Robert E Lee had said to do in the hours before Appomattox really within a day or two or, or less be, prior to him surrendering to Grant at Appomattox there was a he held a staff meeting with his with his officers about whether we should continue to fight or whether we should surrender, and uh, in Shelby uh, Foote's history of the of the Civil War, he tells the story of a of the, probably the most junior guy there. He's still a, a general, or at very least, he's a colonel, and and he traditionally in in these kind of things the 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 most junior officer speaks first, and the most senior officer speaks last, so as not to influence other people's um, decisions. And so this junior guy says, Well, you know, well, um, General Lee, we could just take to the hills, you know. We've got hundreds of thousands of men still with rifles. We could just take to the hills and we could just fire on patrols and we could run a guerrilla war out there for another 10 years. And Robert E. Lee just basically looked at him and said, So what? We're, we're just, we're criminals now, are we? We're just highwaymen? And the guy who made the suggestion wrote afterwards that he was so. Embarrassed and so humiliated that he even that he even voiced it. That it, he regretted it for the rest of his life. So. So the thing about Lee that that needs to be kept in mind uh, on the balance sheet of all this stuff is. When, the the armies had surrendered. Lee's army surrendered. Uh, uh, Joe Johnson's army surrendered a couple of days afterwards to Sherman, and and it just kind of slowly just sort of trickled out. But. In the in the months after the Civil War, in the defeated South, people did not know whether or not to take the pardon. There was a blanket pardon that was offered to virtually everybody in the in the South, um, especially people in the army, and 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 the pretty much the entire South did not know what to do about this. And there's a famous uh, story about a a young officer who comes home, a Southern Confederate officer, comes home and tells his father that he, that he signed the pardon, that he, that he accepted the pardon, the union pardon, the people who've been fighting for the last four years. And the father just erupts and he says, you have disgraced our family, sir, you know, that entire, that entire thing. And he says, but, but uh, Father General Lee advised me to do it. And he said, I think this is verbatim, he said, General Lee? Oh, well, that alters the case. Anything that General Lee says is, is correct. So Lee applied for the pardon, didn't get it, and told all of his countrymen they should apply for it too and get back to being Americans. He told them, we're not going to do any of this um, guerrilla warfare. We fought for a cause and we lost. And, and the American government is treating us uh, pretty well considering and we just need to get back to being one country again. So when people say, well, Robert E. Lee fought for the Confederacy and the Confederacy held slaves. I'm sure Robert E. Lee had slaves. Okay, but it's not that, it's not that simple. And furthermore, you would think, you would think that the people who would be most offended by it being named Fort Hood or Fort Lee or Fort Jackson or whatever would be the people closest to it. In other words, you would think that the real um, the real stink about it would happen in the immediate aftermath of them naming this after this traitor general who held slaves, but there wasn't any of that. the 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 Union named Fort Hood after General Hood, John Bell Hood. I want to say something. Bell Hood. He they the 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 winning army named this camp after a Confederate general. It, You see what I'm saying here? That's, um, and you would think that, that, that slaves are the people who'd been, suffered the most at the hands of the Confederacy, you would think that they would be the ones who would be doing the most loud screaming, but they didn't. They actually thought it was okay. And the only people that are screaming about it now are people who not only don't know the history of slavery or the Civil War, they don't have the faintest idea of what this is about. They just know it's something that they can get angry about and it's given them another chance to protest, which for them is the same as going out on a picnic or maybe riding a sea or something that normal people would do. Um, this is it for them. Protesting is, is their is their, that's it. That's their activity. That's their hobby. That's their occupation. That's what they do. So you get a chance to virtue signal and thump your chest about all the rest of it. I am against renaming the bases and I'm against renaming the bases let me see how I want to put this. I probably would have had a I might have had an objection to it at the beginning but but my point now is that so many American patriots, many of whom were killed in action, went through fort hood and and Fort Lee and all the rest of it that there is there is a purpose to tradition and I personally think that this movement is not about undoing uh, the deconfederizing of the of the Union. I think this is about destroying our culture, and destroying it everywhere they can. And so, if they want to make a fuss about changing the name of Fort Hood, it gives them a chance to bring up slavery again, and um, and that's their, you know, when, if you're if you're a one trick pony, you you better know how to do the trick. And so there you go. That's that's basically what it is. It's 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 not a real deal. It's it's a manufactured outrage designed to Keep up the outrage, and and there you go. And Marusha says, "Is our culture Confederate? It is. Yes, it is. This is the thing. Look, you you can't pretend it didn't happen, and you can't pretend that it's another country. It is history of the United States. It's the history of the United States. And you you can look at it as as this great rebellion and a shameful thing, which which certainly was. But you can also look at it as." certainly what everybody who, who lived during that time and after the time and Lincoln especially saw it as, which is this is a this is a repentance that this is this that this the Lincoln said the blood shed by until the blood shed by the sword equals that shed by the lash. The the, the general idea was we've lost a significant percentage of our population Ending this thing that probably shouldn't have been there in the first place, but if it hadn't been there in the first place, we wouldn't have had a wouldn't have had a country. So, my my problem with all of this is it's very easy for people to want to ban things that they have nothing to do with. There's people out there trying to ban, uh, you know, ATVs and four wheelers and stuff out in the middle of the desert. They've never been outside. They've never sat on a four, on a four wheeler. They don't know anything about it. It doesn't affect them. They're unaware of it until somebody raises it, and then it gives them a chance to get you know. Up on their high horse and start talking about how terrible it is and damaging the environment of the desert. If you fly from here to New York, you will go 500 miles an hour for an hour over nothing, nothing down there, nothing. The entire western third of the country, from the Rockies to just about the California coast, is just plain nothing down there. But they're going to get all huffy about that and they're going to, they're going to. Ban those things, and they want to ban uh, sea doos because they make noise, or they think they make noise, or or people are having fun out there, and I'm not. So let's ban them, and we're going to ban guns because we don't have guns. We're going to ban all the things that we don't have. Not going to touch the things that we want and keep, and and I just don't, I just don't. I think that's what's going on with this thing. I don't think that that this is a real movement. And if there was a time to deal with it, the time to deal with it would have been after the Civil War. They were the people who who were, who were they were, unde- when, when Fort Hood as an example was named, I, I don't know what year it was. Um, when did Fort Hood get, get built and called Fort Hood? I don't know the year. But I'd be very surprised if there were not a significant number of Confederate veterans still alive at the time. Those are the people who, who should have, who had a right to be, that's where I'm going, that's what I was looking for. Those are the people who had a right to be upset about this, and they weren't. And so now, what this is, is, you know what it is? What these people are doing is not just virtue signaling, it's a form of stolen valor. It really is i hadn't really thought about it this way before, but that's what it is it's it's a form of stolen valor these people these social justice warriors are trying to wear the skin of people who were enslaved they're trying to they, they're 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 it, it's stolen um it's stolen victimhood they're trying to to make themselves out as people who suffered under slavery the thing only thing they've ever suffered under was they they didn't get the the, the right mix in their cappuccino you know the, 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 the latte the, the pumpkin spice latte was too hot that's the things that have happened to them in terms of things that have offended them so now they're trying to raise their own stature in their own minds by making this all about we're here to fight safe, fight slavery well you're're you're, you're damn near 200 years too late you're 150 years too late and And you don't get to you don't get to stand there as a champion against slavery when it turns out that a couple four or five hundred thousand men had their lives shot out from them in order to make the same point. What have you had to do besides shoot your mouth off? Nothing, nothing. You haven't had to do anything. So, I'm inclined to uh, to say you can't look. You can't when, when. Marush asked the question, is the, is, the, is the history of the United States, is Confederacy part of the history of the United States? It is. It is part of the history of the United States. And not only can you not cut it out, you shouldn't cut it out. There was a lot about the Civil War that was evil. There was a lot about the Civil War that was that was really, really um, noble. Incredible stories of heroism and, and sacrifice and commitment and, and a depth a depth of emotion and a depth of, of of communicating that emotion, the likes of which we've never seen before since. And and that war, in my opinion, I'm just speaking about it as not even as a historian now, just as a, a, a writer, a person who thinks about these things, that blood sanctified that. Entire chapter. Of American life it's it's like the stain of slavery was was wiped away with with blood and and that is certainly how they saw it and that's how the slaves saw it too one of the things um, uh, Lady Hawk says one commentator said that the reparations would be based on family genealogy but the amount given to each would be the same despite the economic status of each let me just say something about about reparations that I haven't heard anybody talking about. Oh, hang on a second, first time chat from Stride7. Confusing, but my mom always referred to her state, southern state, as my country and residents there as my people, however, an endearing speech. So let me just say something about this reparations thing that, that I haven't heard anybody talking about, right? I don't think the reparations are ever gonna happen because I, I don't think the, I don't think that the progressives want reparations. I think they wanna be complaining about reparations but here's the thing about a reparation, right? This is, this is the legal definition of a reparation. If you pay somebody for damages that they, that they caused you, I, needless to say, I don't think that anybody alive inflicted those damages and nobody alive suffered those damages, obviously, needless to say. Nevertheless, legally, when you, are, when you accept the check... If if you've suffered sexual harassment at work and they make you an offer for $100,000 and you accept it, the conditions of you getting the check are, this check makes you whole. You are made whole. That's That's the legal term. You have been damaged. Yes, we agree. This is compensation. It's reparations. Reparations means to repair. That's what the word means. It's repairing. This money has repaired the damage that's been done to you. Yes, yes. Both sides agree. Yes. Shake hands on it. Boom. Here's your check. Okay. Great. So. If this reparations thing has happened, just play with this for a second okay if this reparations thing happens and they cash the check then they no longer have any moral right to claim oppression or slavery at all period they have been paid for the damages i don't believe it like i said i'm not going to i don't have to keep stating that but nevertheless there it is if this thing happens and people cash that check then the, then the fact that they have been uh, made whole means okay you got your money now we never get to you never get to talk about this again ever right you never get to talk about it again if those things happen you never ever get to talk about it again because you have been made whole you took the money you wanted the money so now exactly right road rider says now it's time to stf you. okay congratulations there you go um but they're 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 not going to be able to do it. And the reason they're not going to be able to do it, you know, the, the situation in Nazi Germany with the Jews, they had a real problem there. It had a major problem there. This was, a, this was one of the things that they could not solve. And what they couldn't solve was, what's the definition of of a Jew? Dave Big Booty says, What were the three bloodiest battles of the Civil War? I want to say by numbers it was Gettysburg, uh, Chickamauga, which nobody talks about. And the single bloodiest day was Antietam, but uh, Gettysburg was, was number one by far. And and Chickamauga, I want to say, was second. Western theater battle. Anyway, um, so there you go. I, 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 see, that's why I don't think they actually want them. I just think they want to bitch about them. I think you just want to keep dangling it in front of you. Mercer says, from now on, ask the progressives how much will it cost for you to never talk about this ever again? See what they say and get it on the public record. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yes. That's it. And with the $33 trillion who am I kidding? It's it's Friday. So it must be $34 trillion by now. Just put it on the tab, right? What difference does it make? You're, you're, you're spending $3 trillion to give to people for you know, we're trying to repair our infrastructure? Yes. So why is this money going to um, art classes? Oh, well, because art is part of the infrastructure of America. It's what makes it. Okay. Put it on the tab. Um, but the, the problem, as I was saying, is that the, the reparations people are going to have the same problem the Nazis did. And the Nazis were... They never, ever solved it. What's the definition of a Jew? Well, clearly a person who's they didn't take just parents. They went to grandparents. Somebody with four grandparents that were Jewish was Jewish. Those people we can ship away. What if they had three out of four? Then we probably ship them away too. But what if two of those grandparents were Christian and two of them were Jewish? Now by the Nazis' reasoning, which is about as warped as it gets, then they have to say, hmm, now we're murdering people who are half not Jewish, half Christian fully Aryan or at least partially Aryan you know, they start to get a little bit you know, they start to get a little bit um, uncomfortable. What if there are three of their, in other words, what if one parent, grandparent is Jewish? What if you're a quarter Jewish? What did that mean? Did that mean you get shipped off? They couldn't solve it. They never solved it. And, and so they just dealt with what they had at hand, which was people who were descended from Jews on both sides of the family, and those people were just taken away and, and killed. So if, if reparations goes to black Americans, what percentage of your DNA do you have to have to qualify, and who decides, and how do they make the decision? If it turns out that it's, I mean, what's the number to qualify you uh, for reparations? if this if this thing were to ever happen. what would be what's the number? Because I'll tell you one thing, if it's a hundred percent if it's a hundred percent black, if in order to be considered black you had to have four black grandparents, then Barack Obama is not a black president. And if you're saying that no any percentage, some I've certainly seen one of these D-bags arguing, no, it doesn't matter. If you've got any black in you, then you're black. Um, Okay. What about Elizabeth Warren? She's got to find somewhere. Somewhere, if she keeps looking, she can find that she's one 320th thousandth black. Does she get a check? Where do you draw the line? This is the part of the thing that nobody has ever discussed. I've never heard anybody discussing how you would actually do this. I've just hear nothing, nothing but people talking about it should be done. And there's no agreement on the, on the money and all the rest of it. But I think the worst case scenario is if this kind of thing just is forced through and happens, I say, okay, great. There, there is your check. We never hear about this again. And not only would it, would it make uh, the people that take the check whole in a legal sense it would also go an awful long way to alleviate white guilt in the present day. If it turned out that everybody got a check for, every black person got a check for $250,000 or whatever the number is, right, then white people are not going to be in the mood to be listening to this nonsense after that as well, right? It's not going to be like, okay, you got your money, shut STFU, that's it. You got your money, boom, that's all. And so, you know, there you go. And and, and if if you're talking about, Something that happened seven generations ago that that injustice is still carries down. then I think that all black Americans should get a reparations check, and then black Americans going to have to write uh, a significant part of that reparation check to Jewish Americans because of the because um, they black America, or at least the the, the blacks the, the afrocentric movement claims that Egypt was an African. Society and the Egyptians held the Jews in bondage for longer than we held slaves in, in the United States. So here's your money now, with the money that you've just gotten, pay the Jews for having kept them in bondage in, in Egypt. That's ridiculous. Why? Because that was a long time ago. Yeah, it is ridiculous. Lady Hawk says Japanese Americans as well. No, it's different. The, um, the, the, they're. The apology and the, um, I don't know if there were reparations, but I think there were paid for Japanese uh, interred during World War II. That's different because that money went to people who actually suffered. that That money went to the people who were harmed. That's what the entire argument against reparations is, is that, okay, you could certainly make the case that there was harm done, but the harm wasn't done to you and it wasn't done by me. In fact, we're seven generations away from that. My grandparent my my family, my grandfather came to the United States in nineteen fifteen, which as it turns out, if I if I cheat and on get my phone out here, I'm pretty sure that's after the Civil War. So my family moved here fifty years after slavery ended in this country? So why the hell do I have to pay reparations for that? We didn't do anything to slavery. It had nothing to do with it. This is true for everything, right? The whole thing is ridiculous, and it's absurd. Um, it just is, it's just like, just plain. Yeah, P727 says, I refuse to apologize for something I didn't do. Precisely right. If somebody asked me, do you feel guilty about slavery? it said, no, I don't feel guilty about slavery. I'm, I've never held a slave. I'm not a slave owner. Why would I feel guilty about slavery? it it has no power over me now if you ask me am I ashamed of it in terms of the the history of the country yes it is a shameful part of the history of this country but I'm balanced this country is so much in in the positive side of this then guess what this is planet earth nobody's perfect nothing's perfect things just happen and things change Um, so yeah uh, I'm not the slightest bit guilty I don't feel any guilt about slavery none I've never held slaves and, uh, and to the degree that you have a personality I'm quite sure that if, if I was there then I would um, then I would I would have fought against it yeah, I think it's probably what I would have done um, and, and I've never heard anybody say this I'm the only person who's ever said this I've heard people get close to it but I've not, never heard anybody put it quite so clearly as this so let me just get this said Every single person that has ever lived on planet Earth has had slaves as ancestors. Every single person. There's not a person in the world today that is not descended from somebody who was held in slavery. That is an absolute guaranteed fact. I promise you, I promise you that there is nobody on the Earth that did not have slaves in their ancestry somewhere. Everybody is descended from slavery. Everybody. And they want to say, well, this was the most recent slavery. Well, it wasn't actually because slavery is still going on in the rest of the world today. You don't seem too concerned about that. But nevertheless, there you go. So I, I just don't, you know, I just, I just, I don't need to go any more into that. You get the idea. Um, let's see. back, Back we go here. Okay, uh, Eric Blake, um, Peace and Long Life, Image of Bill Whittle, uh, Live Long and Prosper, Eric uh, Eric Blake. Uh, Now, a few Stratosphere Studios episodes ago, I wanna make sure that this is not a uh, Monday morning question. That seems all right. I brought up how so many online conservatives lately have given in to base emotion on various things, taking seriously the whole idea of Disney being able to move out of Florida, etc. I've also brought up some time ago how many people lashed out at Daily Wire for daring to make movies with female protagonists. Well, since then, I and our friend Zoe have noticed another trend. Online conservatives, including one Bridget Gabriel, calling for a restoration of the draft. I don't know who Bridget is. They vehemently argue it's necessary to restore masculinity and honor and discipline in young men or something. Now, one problem aside from the obvious issue of forcing people to fight and die against their will is what kind of people are running our military right now? How can people on our side be so blind to all the wokeness that's corrupting our forces? The fact that they're now using drag queens to recruit should scare the hell out of, our, out of this draft nonsense. So I suppose my question is, how do we get online conservatives to snap out of this flagrant emotionalism? Mind you, I've tried, and I've pretty much gotten either dumb silence or smug mockery that I'm a secret lefty for not wanting the draft back. Did you serve, huh? Yeah. Um, Let's just deal with the did you serve thing first. If you're saying that you can't talk about the military unless you served in the military, then that means you can't talk about education unless you're a teacher. You can't talk about healthcare unless you're a nurse. This idea that, that you that you have to that you have to have been in in the system that we're talking about is just plain absurd. It's like everything else. You're basically deconstructing society, and you're basically saying, well, there's no way that black people can understand Shakespeare because Shakespeare was a white author, and therefore we need to chuck it out of schools because you know there's no way they can possibly connect to it. The reason Shakespeare is Shakespeare is because Shakespeare wrote about universal things. So, I don't think the issue is is, is let's just deal with the draft issue. It's not like we haven't tried this, and it's not like we haven't tried this in living memory. We had a draft f- during the duration of the Vietnam War, and morale has never been lower than it was during the Vietnam War. Um, one of the problems with... with a, 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 We may be past this now as a society. I'm not 100% sure. But one of the problems with um, conscription is if you have essentially an unlimited pool of manpower, then it makes it a lot easier for your military strategy to be just keep throwing young men at the problem until the problem goes away. Um, So I'm completely against the idea of a draft, 100% against the idea of a draft. Um, And I think most people in the military would tell you the last thing that we need right now are 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 people who are just bitter, angry, and 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 essentially saboteurs. That's what you'd get. You wouldn't turn them into men. You wouldn't make them into masculine men by by putting in the military. The army is a fat camp now. It's it's no. The military the military needs to be the, the where this this i ideal where this spark is should be where it is most protected. The last thing I want is grabbing. Losers off the streets of Portland and stuffing them in on aircraft carrier decks. No, 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 no. Uh uh-uh. uh, no. Uh uh-uh. uh. An all volunteer force, volunteers, free free volunteers are without question and by a very very large margin, the most effective fighting forces that you will ever see. Victor Davis Hanson talks about this an awful lot with the with the. The farmers, um, the the, uh, well, the helots of uh, of Greece, citizens who had their own armor, panoply, held. They they basically mounted it over their uh, fireplace, their hearth, and this is the family's armor. And every now and then, we're going to have to whichever one of us is most fit is going to have to take that off the wall, sharpen up the sword, go on out there, fight to protect our farms and everything. You go back. Then they go back to um, hoplites, uh, and then they go back to um, to farming. And and these hoplites, these Greek hoplites, were farmers, but because they were free people and could think on their own, they routinely whipped whipped armies that were ten times their size, composed of professional warriors who had been trained in war from the very, very beginning. This is indisputable, and that's the kind of... That's the kind of military you want. You want a hoplite military. You want people who have, who have a stake in the country, who volunteer to go, and who are motivated to get the job done. And, yes, and Erteke points this out. He said the Romans were the same way at first. Exactly correct. When Rome was a republic, the Roman Empire consisted of large numbers of small farms. And the Romans were originally, the Roman legions, were, were, were essentially impressed into the army for a period of time, but they were fighting for their country, for their houses and their homes. They were they were regular people who served time in a legion. And as time went on and Rome got richer and more and more of these guys were thrown into the meat grinder, rich people started buying up these smaller farms and so they got richer and richer and richer and then now you don't have enough people to, to, to man the army and so now you have to hire mercenaries. We think, great, mercenaries, so, a bunch of Moors or Vikings or whatever go out there and get killed. No problem for us. We're, no no Romans are hurt, but those people are not going to, they're not going to fight the way that, are, that somebody would fight for their own homes. So Rome, people think that, that Rome became an empire and then they changed the army, but what actually happened was the army changed and that's what led to the political change. Caesar was essentially... A professional soldier in a time when that was relatively new, consul. Roman consul would serve for I want to say two years, if I remember correctly, and there were two of them. There were there were two people that ruled Rome at any given time, not one, two, and and that's an interesting uh, idea. So you, if the threat to Rome was great enough, then clearly both of these consuls would 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 agree that we need to do something about it. But if you've got two guys necessary to, to pull this trigger, then you um, then I think you get less of this kind of, eh, we'll just do a little adventurism and see how it works out. Um, so, uh, Ertecchi says, under the empire, only one legion was permitted to be raised from Italy. The rest came from the provinces. Right. So, um uh, let's see here. Uh, Dgax Dgax sixty five says I hate to say it, but Lincoln and Grant did exactly that. They knew the North had more men and more industry than the South. They sacrificed a whole lot of men in Northern Virginia to beat down and defeat the South. Look at the casualty figures for the Overland Campaign in eighteen sixty four. The war was won by taking casualties that the South could not afford. That is one hundred percent, absolutely true. Um, Gettysburg. Was the biggest battle of the Civil War, deadliest battle of the Civil War? It also occurred pretty nearly in the middle of the Civil War. Almost all of the real killing happened after Gettysburg, and most of it happened in the last year or six months. Um, and Lincoln, Lincoln understood this. He 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 he, he just understood. He, he under he he looked at the cards that he was dealt, and he played the hand. He said, "This latest catastrophe at Fredericksburg was." One of the great, if not the greatest union one-sided union wallopings that that the Union took at the hands of the confederacy. And after Fredericksburg and all these american all these union casualties and and so little damage done on the Confederates, Lincoln just looked at these numbers and he said, "This is the greatest defeat that we have probably ever suffered, and if we suffer another ten defeats like this, the South will lose." We got shellacked, but our re- our resources are so much greater that we could continue to get shellacked like this, and we'll win the war. This is the definition of a pirate victory. Pyrus was a a general who who won an enormous victory, and, and it cost him so much that he ended up in much worse shape than he was before he fought the war. And Lincoln and Lincoln was very clear about this. He 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 just tormented himself, not only because he couldn't find the guy before he found Grant, but because of what he had to do. Lincoln said. In, in the time between Fredericksburg and and after Grant had taken Vicksburg and Grant became the new man after uh, be, uh, somewhere on 4th of July, uh, Vicksburg fell in 1863. So for a year and a half, Lincoln is looking for the guy who's going to lead the, the, uh, the Union to victory. And all these generals think that means battlefield victories, but Lincoln was very clear. And I'll never forget this. When I read it, I couldn't... It just went right through me. Lincoln said... I need to find a general that can face the arithmetic. That's a profoundly interesting and acutely um, uh, deep look at, at the problems he faced. He said, I need to find somebody who can face the arithmetic. What does facing the arithmetic means?" Facing the arithmetic means that if we lose on two-to-one or even a three-to-one basis, then we need to have these battles done as quickly as possible and lose three-to-one. And if we continue to have battles where we lose three-to-one, then the South will be um, will be defeated in short order. We have to face the arithmetic. That's what it's going to take. That's what we're going to have to do. So that's what they did. And they did the exact same thing in the Pacific in World War II. They had to face the arithmetic. You lost 1,500 men killed in... in Marines killed on Guadalcanal, 5,000 uh, sailors killed in, in the sea actions off of Guadalcanal. By the time you get to uh, Saipan, you're talking about 3,000. By the time you get to uh, Iwo, 3,000 or 4,000 in Saipan. Iwo, 7,000. Okinawa, 13,000. You are re- you're reaching an exponential curve here. But they they had to finish it which is why the, the atomic bomb saved so many lives. They saved so many lives. Saved millions, millions of Japanese lives were saved by the atomic bomb, millions of them. And the guy who led the attack at Pearl Harbor, the aviator who led the attack said, well, you did exactly the right thing because if you hadn't done that, then, um, then we, we would have fought you with spears and lost 7 million of us. Eric says, the question of how to deal with the, get out of this emotional nonsense. Uh, I don't know how to get out of the emotional nonsense it's it's something that really bothers me. I've talked with uh, Zoe and other and Scott and Steve about it I've talked with Jeremy about it uh, there's no question that that there are signs that um, that conservatives are getting dangerously um, uh, inflexible about things and I understand it and I feel it because if if you if you're a dog and lives in a house and you're a happy dog and you live in a happy house and you wave your tail whenever, the, whenever your master comes home and you play with the kids, that's great. And then if all of a sudden dad starts kicking you and then kicking you harder and then the kids start pulling your tail and tying cans to your tail and lighting your ears on fire, after a while, you won't be wagging your tail anymore. After a while, that formerly friendly, nice, kind dog will snap at anybody that comes near him because he was taught that. And that's what's happening to conservatives. There's been so much hor- horrific damage unloaded on us and done so quickly and so flagrantly that we are now at the point where it's like we we are just biting at anything. And most of the time, most of the time we're justified in it, but not all the time. And we've had that conversation, you know, if Joe, if, if it's raining outside and Joe Biden steps outside and says it's raining... There are conservatives who will say, "No, it's not. No, it's not. You're a liar. Everything about you's a lie. It's, it's, it's irrational, and it's, and we, and we should be better than that." I understand it, and I'm guilty of it too. But nevertheless, there it is. Uh, Cody Fett with the super chat says, Atan, "Atan Shea films put forward the proposition that Lee was a bigger butcher of his men than Grant because he lost far more of his men by percentage than Grant did." Yeah, um, I don't know. I don't know what the what the percentage ratios were uh, the South had the benefit of being on the defensive and they also had the benefit of there's a story about um, about a union patrol that went into a southern town uh, late in the war and they said you know why are you why are you shooting at us you know we're supposed to be part of the same country what made you become a traitor and this confederate just regular soldiers said we're we're shooting at you because you're down here. So, sounds like a compelling argument to me. Um so anyway, I think that's basically basically it. Uh at 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 peace peace says it's pound puppy syndrome, yes. And and it can be undone, but when I talk about how um dangerous it is and how alarming it is i just need to keep coming back to how not i won't say justified but how understandable it is it's it's almost it's almost impossible for it to be any other way you can't keep pushing people the way that we've been pushed around forever without people getting pretty Angry and pretty surly, and so it, it becomes anything that that Biden is is, is in, anything that's got Biden's name on is automatically bad, and I don't think that's true. I just I think that ninety nine percent of everything that Biden is involved with is bad. That may sound like I'm splitting hairs, but it's an important distinction. You know, you you've got to be you can't. If if you if you get into that, no, he's a hundred percent wrong, a hundred percent of the time. Now you're not even thinking anymore you're not even you don't even really have an opinion now you're a guy who's got his knees crossed and and, and guys tapping your knee with a rubber hammer and your leg shoots out ding point ding point you can't control that you can't stop it if you if you sit there and the guy ch- checks your reflexes with that little rubber hammer on your knee you can't will yourself to not have that happen you have no control over it it's a reflex and if and if your political opinions are reflexive automatic and uncontrolled, then you might as well be a left winger. Right? It's hard, it's hard, it's very hard to 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 do this because emotionally you just wanna you just wanna watch it burn, you know. But we're supposed to be the adults in the room here. And and so, you know, we'd better Better start acting like them, um, which is why uh, I'm not afraid to uh, to talk about these things. And it's also why I don't just come out and say conservatives are, are losing their minds and, you know, they're just idiotic and it's got to stop. There's a perfectly good reason why, why we're getting as defensive as we're getting. But that doesn't mean it's good for us. It just means we're justified in it. It's not good for us, though. We, we need to We need to – I'm not saying we need to rise above it like we need to keep getting slapped in the face – we need to maintain our 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 faculties, and we need to understand that that life is not that simple. If it were that simple, then we probably would be, you know, progressives. We thought if yeah, uh, Road Rider Fifty Eight says being a conservative sucks. Yeah, it's like um, it's a, a firewall called why we suck. It sucks to be a conservative. Sucks, you know. We're the ones who have to tell you you can't keep spending money forever that you don't have. We're the ones that tell you you can't just eat McDonald's or candy all the time no matter what the Democrats say. We're the ones who tell you if your fat kid is fat, it's not Ronald McDonald's fault. It's your fault because Ronald McDonald's menu, McDonald's menu has not changed substantially over the years. And so on and so on and so on. It sucks. It sucks to have to be the adult. It sucks to be the person to walk away from the brownies. It sucks all the time. And... If it weren't better for you in the long run, then there'd be no reason to do it. But it is. Monk and Training, thank you for the super chat, says the right is becoming dogmatic. (laughs) Yeah, we're becoming dog automatic. Um, And and what we're facing are people who are dogmatic. It's a dogma of the left that ran over our karma. By the way, obviously, it's not my line. But when I first heard somebody say my karma ran over my dogma, I just thought that was the cleverest thing I'd ever heard in my life. Um, so, um, so, you know, and by the way, it's not only, it's not only bad for us internally, it's, it's bad for, it's bad for the country because, and when I say bad for the country, I don't mean we should be shaking hands with these people and finding compromise. I know, no, 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 there's no compromise with the people that are trying to destroy this country. I I have no desire or inclination to compromise with them already. We've compromised enough. We've compromised ourselves practically back to the Stone Age. I'm done compromising on that. But in order to win, you need to understand that that it is, in fact, a three-part equation. It's not us versus them. It's us versus them with spectators, with a peanut gallery. And whoever wins the audience wins the game. So... It matters how you play because unlike a typical football game, in this game, the people in the stands can suit up and come down on the field and outnumber you and and kick your butt or kick their butt, depending. So you've got to to be disciplined about this. Um, Mauritius says, I view it less like a war, more like a sickness to be cured. I agree. That's fine. But... um, But... It's, see, here's the thing, here's here, here's the thing, and I think I'm probably going to wrap it after this because I feel my, my, my voice going here. You'll get a little of your money's worth out of this. Um, let me just think I want to put this here. All right, here, here, it took me a second to find my way around it. When I started doing this, I think the first thing I ever wrote of any consequence was, was, you know, we're the ones that believe in fast cars, hot women, and loud guns. How hard is it to sell that? This should be a cakewalk for us. And what I'm finding more and more and more and more and more is, this is what my, virtue signal today was about is that the single greatest item that we have in our store to offer those people that are sitting on the sidelines trying to decide which way to vote the the single most shiny object that we have for sale is fun now so of course said well you know shouldn't it shouldn't just be fun it's like no of course not you can have fun until the point where you start causing other people grief but generally speaking that's really what we should be doing. We should be selling fun. We should be selling fun, lightheartedness. We should be selling optimism. We should be selling... Uh, we, we should look at these people the way that... I'm trying to think of a good example here. Um, you know, I can just say this the way the way it came to my to my head, so I, I, I trust that you'll understand where I'm coming from this, because I have enormous love and admiration and respect for, for the Special Olympics and the entire idea of the Special Olympics. I think it's one of the greatest things that this country's ever done. I think it's magnificent. But when I was really trying to triangulate on what our attitude ought to be, I kind of think that our attitude ought to be the attitude of um, the Kansas City Chiefs, playing against a special olympics team right you don't go out there and 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 blow those those kids over on the ground you should be so far above the game that the whole thing is 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 a it's a it's almost like we, we should almost be like humoring them with our presence, you know. Like really, like uh, like honestly, like um, our attitude towards towards these people ought to be, hey, operation, good job, you know. Congratulations, way to go. I bet that I bet that felt really really good. This you know, good job, good job, well done, you know. This if we could get to that place, we'd be unbeatable. If we could get to the place where we, Sun Tzu talked about this. We were chatting a, a, well, was quite a while ago now over Tsumsaki over and we were having a conversation about this. I speak 35 languages, I don't know if I mentioned that before. And I'm an immortal um, uh, philosopher, poet from, was born in 726 BC. But I digress. Um, no, Sun Tzu said that the ultimate form of victory is swordlessness. There's two ways to look at swordlessness. One of them is, The ultimate victory is is where you win without having to draw the sword. The, The enemy just surrenders or goes away. But another definition of swordlessness is to walk into an... This is what Sun Tzu specifically said. The idea that you could walk into an enemy camp without a sword and win because you're going to take their swords. Swordlessness. It's powerful, powerful stuff, swordlessness. It's like, it's not that I couldn't bring a weapon. It's just that I chose not to. I'm going to look at what's going on on the enemy camp, and I'm going to pick up the most appropriate weapon, and I'm going to hand them their ass with it. That's what I'm going to do. And, um, and so, yeah, Scrappy says, best gunfight is the one you don't have to fight. Exactly. So so, when, when, we, when, when I think about how much stuff we've got and how easy it is to sell, I, you know, for most, and we were just talking about discipline a minute ago, for most of this time, I've, I've said, you know, another thing I said early was, uh, you know, the Democrats are giving away free candy and the Republicans are trying to sell vegetables. It's a tougher, tougher deal. And I believe that because of all of the responsibility and the, you know, and, and the work ethic and the saving, the discipline, all that stuff. But, but really now at this point, honestly, I'm really beginning to think that no, it's like we're the ones that are having a blast you know we're the ones that are happy we're the ones we're the ones that are that are driving around living our lives having a great time and we're not eating bugs and we're not gonna and we're not gonna eat bugs and we're not gonna uh, do all these things that our overlords tell us to do and it's awesome And you can say anything you want to absolutely so what if what if you so if you're you live in conservative land what happens if you say something that offends somebody well, then, they, then I guess they get offended. But you know what? Most of the time, because we're adults, they may be offended, but it's not going to cause them to have heart palpitations, right? And if you really want to get into the into the the groove, then you realize that the the, the surest form of affection among uh, certainly among men is how badly can you insult somebody? If you if you are so comfortable with someone that you do nothing but insult them all the time or nearly all the time. That is a statement that that male tell snapping, that verbal tell snapping about, you know, just constantly back and forth, back and forth, knocking the other guys down. That comes from a place of utter confidence. It comes from absolute, total, utter confidence. It comes It comes from a place where it doesn't matter what I say. We know we're friends. And, and the fact that we are such good friends means that we can play around the boundaries of this friendship by trying to think of the most outrageous things that we can say to break it apart and then laugh at the fact that we know from the beginning that it's not going to have any difference, right? That's what, that's, what's so awesome about it. Just so it's just so great about the whole thing. And I love it. I love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. And, um, and we just, you know, yeah. All right. I'm tired of uh, teaching you idiots uh, how to dress yourselves and, and and not pee in your pants. It's not my problem anymore. If you want to stop at the rest stop, that's fine. Just, you know, try to keep it in the toilet. Can you do that, do you think? Yeah? Okay. Boom. Boom, Boom-ba-ba-boom. Let's... Now, Eric says that's the great thing about Trump. He has fun. Now, that is a profoundly good... Profoundly good observation because it's not always true. When Trump is having fun... Trump's unbeatable. When Trump is bitter and angry and, and defensive and petty, that's the word. When he's petty, he's not fun at all. And when he's petty, you get none of the advantages and all the disadvantages. So when when I see Donald Trump tweeting out something about Ron De Sanctimonious, I just think, why the hell am I even supporting this guy? And then I'll see him get on CNN and just start saying, well, you lied about this, you lied about that, you lied about that. Well, no, no, I said, do I have to get the paper out? I think that's what he said on that t- that latest one he did it on CNN. I said, do I, do I really have to get the paper out? All right, I'll get out the paper. And he pulls out the paper, he starts reading all this stuff, all this factual data. It's like, see, that guy can't lose. That's just it. That's fun. And he will never be, um, he'll never be what Reagan was. And, and, and it's not fair to ask him to be what Reagan was. Reagan could be Reagan because the, the situation was far less toxic than it is today. Far less toxic. Reagan could be Reagan because he didn't have to be Trump. Now, you can't survive that political atmosphere as a, as a, as a nice guy. When I, when I listen to Reagan speaking and I listen to Reagan telling jokes, I'll tell you, because I'm a, I'm a writer and, I, and I've been a professional joke writer, although you wouldn't know what to listen to this show. watching ronald reagan tell jokes and stories is a profoundly instructive educational experience because reagan knew how to take an insult to the point of it just barely being there and and it's almost like he it's almost like he pulled the punch so much that it's an indication that he could have flattened you if he wanted to the the jokes that Reagan would tell about Democrats were not mean, but at the same time they got a laugh. The two classics are, um, and you I, some of you heard me talking about this recently. You can hear it again. The two classic Reagan lines are that I can think of are he's talk he's talking to a large group of people, right? And he says, uh, "Well, you know, we had a." Uh, I was re- reminded of uh, when they had this convention a couple of years ago in the city, and uh, and the Democrats were having their convention. Democrats and Republicans. Democrats had their convention first, and outside the door of the convention, there was a kid with a box of kittens. He was selling. He was saying, "Democratic tick kittens, democratic kittens. Get your democratic kittens. Get your democratic kittens today." Nobody thought much about it. We came back two weeks later for the Republican uh, convention, and same kid is out there with the same cats and he's screaming republican kittens republican kittens get your republican kittens, step right up ladies and gentlemen republican kittens at amazing price and so i went up to this kid and said hold on now kid these are the same cats that you were selling two weeks ago as democratic kittens and now you're selling them as republican kittens what's going on here and the kid says well now they've got their eyes open perfect perfect Yes, and that's the other one. In forty-two, in there. The other one is is so classic. Is a Republican goes to this strongly, strongly Democratic rural neighborhood, and he's doing a stump speech, and 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 the farmers are lining up, saying, "We ain't never seen a Republican before." You know, let me go. Let me go grab Ma, because uh, she'd she'd want to see one too. So. Um, everybody's just kind of marveling at this guy and he's trying to give a speech A small crowd is gathering he wants to be able to see everybody he's looking to get up on a platform or a soapbox or something there's just nothing there the only thing that's around is this giant pile of manure and um and so he stands up on that and gives his speech and after the speech is over these democratic farmers say, you know i have never heard a republican give a speech before and the, the republican politician says well I've never had to give a Republican speech standing on a democratic platform before, something along that lines i i I botched it, but you get the general idea um that that's that's precisely calibrated. you know that's not an accident. He could have gone much meaner than that, and he could have gone much much gentler too. he didn't. he just got, just that tone was exactly right. Now things are a lot more pointy than they were back in in the early eighties, and so you have to. Trump has to be, he, if, if somebody in the comment section, I just, uh, uh, yeah, Marussia points out that the, the reason, I mean, Reagan, the age question, is, is Reagan Sino? And and he had a very bad first debate against Mondale for his re-election run in 84. And then so uh, he recovered. So at the second one, you know, the subject of his age came up and Reagan said, I will. I, I. refuse to be a part of this. I will not let my ex, my opponent's youth and inexperience against him. And and Mondale laughed. That's a. That's a. That's that's Sun Tzu level mastery. That's that's political mastery. If you can say something that is so funny that your that your opponent has to laugh at it. That's really good. I was at a at a hostile audience in a in a college many years ago, and I was going back and forth with this one guy, and he was saying this and that. And I said, "What, you know, what's your major?" If you don't mind me asking, he says, "Oh, engineering." I said, "Oh, this explains so much, engineering." Uh, yeah. You know what engineering professors use for birth control? Their personalities, and he burst out laughing, and and that was that was it. That was it's not like I just instantly won. I just instantly was real and people started listening to me. So, uh, there it is. Um, uh, infidel 42 said Mondo later said that's when he he lost the election. I don't think he was going to win it anyway, but that's probably when Mondo realized what he was up against. So there's the answer, right? I mean, look at, Look at Nixon's. I mean, look at well, Nixon, too, by the way. But look at Nixon's electoral victory was unbelievably big, it was all time record, it had never been matched before, and it stood for seven years, eight years, maybe. Uh, hold on, it might have been 12. But Reagan came within 5,000 votes in Mondale's home state of running the table. Um every one of the, every single electoral vote gone to him. very very nearly that um and and people said that reagan didn't want to campaign in minnesota because he didn't want to take away this guy's dignity by by you know pretty much doing that monkey training says key to the right winning the culture isn't being the one who walks from donuts but being the one who's happy to be in great shape chasing higher pleasure exactly right yes and i missed one earlier uh training says to paraphrase Sun Tzu: the mark of excellence is to win wars without having to fight battles. Again, correct. And here's another one I missed from Caledon Sockley. Sorry about the lateness on these uh, super chats. Do you think all of this is cyclical? Perhaps it's just part of the drama of the boomers passing on. We have King Lear syndrome on a generational level. Uh, I I I don't think that the that the emotional deficiencies of Millennials, and especially Gen Z, is just business as usual. Um, My my wife is constantly, constantly trying to soften me on this, and she does a good job of it, and and it makes me, you know, it makes me think about things. There is, um, it's a universal human condition that, it's just part of how the brain is wired. We remember the good times, we forget the bad times, so... We always have, as a species forever, looked at young people and said, you you kids are terrible. Things are so much better back when I was a kid. That's universal. And so I have to ask myself when I see some of these things, is this just this? Is this just me getting to the get off my lawn age? A fair amount of it is. A fair amount of it is just me getting to get off my lawn age. But there are significant unprecedented differences in, in this generation these last two, uh, because they've been so heavily indoctrinated. There's no question, none whatsoever, none, that Gen Zers are far, 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 far less educated than boomers are. Far less. Ed- I mean, it's not you can't even use them in the same sentence. And if you watch, you see the standards kind of falling. I think boomers are better educated, generally speaking, than Gen Xers, but Gen Xers are on this side of that great divide, you know, th- by the time you get to millennials, it's, it was kind of shocking that they couldn't name 10 states. But but now with Gen Z, they, they can't name three countries. Any other three countries. And so, again, that's not all Gen Z. That's what uh, Zoe's show was about today. Was I'd like to know what percentage of this population is that far gone. Um, but there are things that have been lost, and they've never been lost before, ever, in human history. There's never been a generation, and Mark says it's boomers that raised the millennials, he says, and the Gen Xers raised the Gen Zers. Yes, there's no question about it, none. They didn't ask me to raise that way, it's ultimately our responsibility, but with that said, there has never been a generation that never went outside and played before. It may not seem like a big deal to you, but it's enormous. It's enormous. If you think about all the lessons you learned outside, it, it, you can't even put a can't even put put a put a finger on it. Where are you going? Uh, well, we're just gonna go ride our bikes around. Be home by eight o'clock. Be home by dark. Okay. If somebody comes up. Where, where where's your seven-year-old son? Oh, he's thought there riding his bike someplace. You don't know exactly where he is? No, I don't. Aren't you worried about him? No, he shows good judgment. That's why he's allowed to go out and ride his bike until eight o'clock. I didn't let him do it when he was four. And then, as I watched him get more and more responsible, I gave him more slack. What's so hard about this? But there. But it's not even. It's not even. Uh, and Storm D says something interesting in the YouTube chat. He says the last two generations are not having children, so human society is doomed. You can't rebound from that. Yeah, Elon Musk again. Back to Elon is the only person I've ever heard saying. No, no, we don't have a population uh surplus problem. We've got a critical lack of people. That's that's our problem. We don't have enough people. He's right. Um, but Gen Z says I could say a lot of my age cohort were not fit parents. Yes, So look, here's here's how the here's how this generational thing swung, okay? Greatest generation didn't just get hit once, they got hit twice. They their formative years. Their, their childhoods were in the Great Depression. Only time I ever saw my dad cry was when he was telling me about watching people eating out of garbage cans when he was a little kid. My dad was born in 25, so height of the Great Depression, he was 9 or 10. So that got him tough. And then along comes this greatest catastrophe in human history, this World War II, and they're already made out of pretty stern stuff because the Depression had to toughen them up. Okay, so they go off to war, and then they come back. And when they come back from this nightmare that we read, um, that we read uh, a poem about earlier, they didn't want to talk about it. And I don't blame them for not wanting to talk about it, but unfortunately for us, for their kids, boomers, they didn't want to talk about anything. They just didn't want to talk about anything. Our parents, the greatest generation, was a traumatized generation, horrifically traumatized, and it's it's to their undying uh, glory that they that they so that they just shut up and and dealt with it and 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 got it done. They didn't just sit around staring at their navel and and, and and they just they just manned up and did it. But when they came back, they they didn't want to talk about it. Didn't want to talk about anything. So. As a, I'm generally speaking with generalizations obviously but as a generalization, the greatest generation parents had good parents but they were not particularly good parents. they were they were not really there. This was a time when corporate America was really growing and, and you know dad's working eight hours, nine hours a day, ten hours a day um, for uh, you know going up the corporate ladder and smoking cigarettes and drinking scotch and and, and all of that stuff right. And because, because boomers were neglected, this is the opposite problem. It's probably why boomers have such a problem with Gen Z. Boomers were neglected. Gen Z's been coddled. That's, that's a pretty much a cat and dog sort of a kind of thing. So, so now you've got the boomers, and what the boomers want to do with their kids is they want to they want to confiscate, compensate for the affection and the attention that they never got from their father. so they overcompensated. And did the whole what's the matter, buddy? Let's come on, buddy. Let's see, They they weren't parents to these kids. They tried to be their friends, and you can't be their friends. They overcompensated. They their their parents. Our parents were not there. We didn't get enough attention from them, and and we suffered that consequence. And we decided. I can remember having this thought very clearly in my in my even in my teens, probably late teens. But if I ever have kids. I'm going to go to the baseball game rather than go to the meeting. I just made that decision. I was like, if, if it's my son's birthday or it's his baseball game, I'm going to the baseball game. And if that cost me my job, then it cost me my job. I, I was very young when I had that that realization. And that's that's great. That's noble. But once you start doing that, it it just became – so Gen X was kind of – I not want to say coddled exactly, but Gen X was, you know – gen x was a what's the matter buddy thing and then since they never got any discipline we we got we didn't get any softness the boomers didn't get any softness from our parents gen x didn't get any hardness from their parents and then by the time the millennials come along you've got all of this tech stuff and all these other things starting to get in the mix and now now with the um with gen z millennials have had tech with them pretty much their entire lives millennials can remember back when the tech wasn't millennials can remember a world before smart devices and gen zers can't that's why that guy said earlier why did you guys drink out of a hose why didn't you just go inside and drink out of the sink because we were playing out back why would we go inside we're playing outside and the hose is delicious what's the matter with you they can't connect to it they don't understand it and look if it turned out that there was no, if it turned out that reality really had left the building, then I would just have to, I would just have to be okay with this. If it turned out that the world of the future was stable and, and relatively happy and prosperous and everybody had universal health care and nobody had the ability to drive and all of the things that I valued were gone, but people were happy and were and were living happy lives then then i would just have to say to myself you were happy in the time that you lived and this is a different world now and they're happy there too but that's not what i'm seeing i'm not that's not what i'm seeing at all i'm seeing i'm seeing an entire generation that has never had fun ever it's not allowed to. It's too serious. There's too much racism to fight, and plus the patriarchy, and and they're just mean-spirited, angry, stupid people. It's not their fault. They've been brainwashed by mean-spirited, angry, stupid people. Have put this into their head, and they and and they're miserable, and and when you look at the policies that they're that they're promoting, you get human feces on the streets and needles, and you get people on fentanyl, and 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 you. It's just a freaking catastrophe. It's a catastrophe. And you find that since they never got a chance to play baseball or football or anything else, never had to deal with loss when they were young, because that would hurt their self-esteem. So they developed a, a sense that, uh, of, of, of almost like cosmic self-esteem where everything they did was absolutely right all the time, and reality doesn't work that way. So they, so when when they get confronted with not being able to have their way, they have mental breakdowns. Uh, Zoe was talking about that today. He said there was this guy who debated a conservative, and he said that he said that, uh, that, that <laughs> he said that every year thirty percent of the black population is murdered by by white cops, thirty percent, which is a little higher than, than the actual number. And when it was pointed out to him, and when, when he got his ass handed to him in the debate, this guy, according to Zoe, this kid, had to go to the hospital because he was having heart palpitations Because he couldn't he, he couldn't stop hyperventilating For hours and hours and hours After this So You know There you go um, I If I look at this as objectively As I can I have to tell you I really think That I could not have That I that I was born At the perfect pinnacle of civilization. And it's not just because things are getting worse, although that's part of it. The thing that is most wonderful about being born when I was born is is that I was the only generation, boomers the only generation that have lived on the dividing line between not knowing enough and knowing everything from the beginning. So just as an example from our planetarium days, we would use in the planetarium we would use the if we had to show Jupiter we would show the best image of Jupiter that an earthbound telescope could get and we'd look at that so that's a pretty damn good Jupiter right and that's and that's what Jupiter was for me and everybody who lived before me to to the invention of the telescope and so on that's what Jupiter was and I got to watch Pioneer 10 and 11 go past Jupiter and then I got to watch the Voyagers then I got to see this thing it's like oh Jesus look at this it's unbelievable it's unbelievable and and if you born after that, whenever you see a picture of Jupiter, you get a Voyager image or now you get a Galileo image or whatever. You you get the information, but you don't have the thrill of of of, of developing it. You never get the thrill of, of having it revealed to you. I am uh I'm not deep into this, but I'm I'm beginning to be I have to be careful because of the because of the um you know the um uh You know Edward de Vere, the sixteenth Earl of Oxford, who really wrote all the Shakespeare plays, so I have to be careful about about this, but um, i am I'm becoming if not convinced and certainly interested in the idea that there was a more advanced civilization on earth much earlier than we thought. These people were not flying around in flying saucers they weren't flying around in airplanes they weren't driving cars it's just that they were at probably Bronze Age or Iron Age technologies five six seven thousand years before we believe that they had and that a catastrophe had had really done a lot of damage probably the the most rational explanation I've heard is that a, a big comet or a meteor a big asteroid hit the 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 polar caps melted all of this water the heat released is unbelievable so anyway the the younger dryad there's a catastrophe and and it's not like we we were on the moon, and then we got knocked back to zero, but we lost three, four 4,000, 5,000 years of development. So I, the reason I bring that up is it's possible that in the course of my lifetime that this theory will be proven. It's also possible that it won't be proven, but it's possible that it will be proven. It's possible that by the time I die, human history will be different than what it was when I grew up. There is something uncovered that I got to watch uncovered. It does not come with me. It's not like a mystery that I didn't look to see the answer of, and it's not like something that was always there. I've been on both sides of this. Same thing for tech. I first computer game I ever played didn't have a first video game I played didn't have a video screen. I played that Star Trek game on a computer printout <inaudible> with the green and white things, and I was blown away. You know? I'm I'm interacting with this thing and there's nobody there. It's just just it's just doing it, you know? Fire photon torpedoes. <clears throat> Hit on number four shield of Klingon shield down to 42%. You I, I, would, I used to stay up late and get up early so I could go in there at, that, at the high school and play an hour of that video game that didn't even have a video screen. The first flight simulator I flew was, was the first Microsoft flight simulator where the mountain range was a jagged line that was absolutely flat. You can fly on the other side. It was just complete plane. And I, I once again, I would get there three hours early to work where we had Apple computers because I wanted to fly the flight simulator. That's it. Period. So I've got, I, I, when I look at flight simulator now or DCS or something, it's not just like, wow, it's like, wow. And I thought that flight sim one was wow. And I thought that, that, that flight sim two was wow. And I thought Falcon three was wow. And I thought, I thought, um, I thought, uh, Wolfenstein was wow. Uh, all of it, I just every time, and 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 that's a, a really amazing place to be where you get the answers that people have, f- for history, wanted to know the answers of, and you get to see these things unveiled, and you're not just born with it handed to you. It's like, no. Yeah, Jane's, Jane's USAF. My, the opening of that is, somebody said the opening of Jane's uh, USAF is the most Bill Little thing they ever saw. It's the kindest thing anyone ever said to me, I think. Um. So yeah, I I, I was I, I was playing Wolfenstein on a 286, and a friend of mine had a 386, which allowed me to play Wing Commander, and I was just I I just couldn't believe my eyes. I look at the, I look at it now. Wolfenstein, in a weird sort of way, kind of holds up because it was so simplistic. But I look at like the Wing Commander game, the first Wing Commander game. That I thought was just unbelievably realistic. And I look at it now, and I say, now nah, somebody went back and remade the game. It's not the game I played. Just not possible. Not possible. Now that was it. All right, that was it. Uh, and and uh, F-19 stealth fighter. I saw somebody playing that on, on on YouTube, and I thought that's not the game I played. The game I played was much, much, much more realistic than that. No, it wasn't. This is the thing we we're talking about a minute ago. You know, it's like we always remember the good times. I look at I look at the stuff from like that F-19 game. And I played that game a lot, and I thought it looked great. I look at it now, and I just can't believe it. I can't believe how awful it looks. So I get to experience all that. Somebody mentioned Pluto earlier. I got to see Pluto. Pluto was a dot. We didn't have the faintest idea what Pluto looked like. Not a not the faintest idea. And then suddenly, we do. So now everybody who goes to school, which would probably be three or four people moving forward, but... When the subject of Pluto comes up, here's a picture of Pluto. This is what Pluto looks like. Oh, that's cool. But they won't have the moment of seeing watching these pictures coming in. Like, oh my God! I've been waiting to find out for freaking! I've been waiting to see this for 40 years. It's really amazing. Oh, we're listing all the great old games here. Choplifter. I remember Choplifter. Choplifter was an awesome game. It was great. I think it was on Apple II, if I want to say correctly. Uh, I was a big, and and, and they never um, <laughs> died of dysentery. A lot of people played Oregon Trail. Um, And and when you think about something like Oregon Trail, and you think about how simple it is, you probably could code that in an afternoon. But it was interacting with someone who wasn't there. Even just randomness is is entertaining because it's yeah I don't know anyway uh, and and they never got the arcade thing, which is I think a little sad too. Um, Now they didn't have Lady Hawk says cassette tape drives. As far as that goes, that's. Let me just get to that real quick. Music now is incomparably better than than what we grew up listening to. Incomparably better. It's impossible for people who didn't grow up with analog to understand how how a, how many scratches and pops were on a, an LP and how much hiss. And, and there was on cassette play, uh, on cassette tapes. It was just awful, awful. Awful. Here's a cassette player. Oh wow. hey, this one's got Dolby noise reduction. Really, what does that do? It takes away the hiss. See? Yeah, it does. It takes away the hiss. It takes away all the highs too. It takes away everything. There's nothing left. And I can still hear some hiss. When I first heard it, I first time I ever heard music on a, on a, a CD, First time I ever heard anybody with a CD. It was maybe a 93, I want to say somewhere, maybe a little bit earlier. I just, I couldn't believe it. It was so crisp and so clear and, and, and nothing wrong. No hiss, no pops, nothing. I, I was blown away, blown away. And this is kind of what I think is wrong with society, right? It's, it's like if you, I've talked about this before. And this is the last thing I'll say on it. So, And I, I probably mean last thing I'll say on it. Progress has become, progress was so steep that it can no longer, it, it it just simply cannot keep going at the at the rate it was. So, uh, uh, a, uh, I want to do this so it's uh, yeah. So, so an exponential curve is one. This is increasing time. An exponential curve is one where things go faster, 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 faster as time goes on. Um, an asymptotic curve is one that where things go slower and slower and slower and slower where things go on. And Gen Z and millennials to some degree are born under the asymptote. What I mean by that is they have so much given to them when they come into the world that it's virtually impossible for them to have the thrill of improving their lives. It's virtually impossible. My grandfather, certainly my great-grandfather, if he worked really hard, he might be the guy that got indoor plumbing. Indoor plumbing, what's, what do you mean? What's the big deal about indoor plumbing? No, 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 no you didn't go to the bathroom you had, to, you had to put on your boots and your clothes. You had to walk out in, in, in sub-zero temperatures and sit in a wooden shack and just crap on the ground. And that's what everybody had to do as long as there have been humans. But my grandfather or great-grandfather could have been the guy who brings home plumbing and electric lighting and television and Internet and computers. And all of these things have been, wow, but what happens, jet travel is another great example. Novocaine, MRIs, all of it. What happens when all of these things are in the world where you're born? That's, that's, your, that's your baseline. How do you improve on that? How do you, what, could, what could a Gen Zer, assuming that we're sufficiently motivated, and the reason I'm not sufficiently motivated is because it's impossible. How could a Gen Zer do something as mind-blowing as bringing plumbing into his house or electric lighting, how could they possibly do it? How could how could Gen Z ever 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 go from where they're born and make a jump that's equivalent to, honey, you don't have to scrub the clothes by hand anymore. What? Now we got a machine. You just plug it in the wall. What? Yeah, just dump it in there. Done. it's not possible. It's, it's impossible. So they're stuck. And that's why they're unhappy, because they're not seeing any improvements. So, uh, I saw it the first time, Eric, I know I'm assuming a lot about, um, look, when you talk about generalizations, you have to generalize. And when people say, "Well, uh, not, all, not all millennials are like that, it's like, that's exactly right. Yes, correct. There are, there are women in the world who are faster than, than some men in the world, but generally speaking, men are considerably faster than women. So arguing the exceptions doesn't really do anything for me. Um, Raider 68, I'm just going to en- entertain this because I think it's interesting. Rader 68 says, brain implants, Bill. Okay, so let's just say they're brain implants. Let's just say that, they, that, they're, that they're big technological breakthrough will be the ability to have an experience that is indistinguishable from consciousness. Right Right now, with virtual reality and all the rest of it, and you can lose yourself with immersion and all the rest. But what if what if they're able to put stories like in, um, what is it? Uh, was it True Lies? No, no. What was the Schwarzenegger movie where we went to Mars? Um, uh, Total Recall, I think. What if it's possible, I beat you, Infidel, I beat you, I beat you both by about a second. What if it's possible for you, what if Gen Z, as they grow up, is going to experience something that blows their mind to that degree where it is no longer, while this is really great graphics, they feel like they're there. There's no way to tell that it wasn't real. Let's just say that's it what does that actually do for their lives right you, you see where i'm going with this if mom had to if mom had to go out and pump water boil it and then scrub clothes on a washboard and then she can just put it in a box and have it wash it she is freed of of tens and tens of hours of hard work every single week because of electricity that changes her life how does how does the ability to have these realistic internal experiences change the lives of Gen Zers? It doesn't. It doesn't. It it just it just makes it just makes what they've got a little significantly more intense. But it's it's not it doesn't change their lives. And and if that comes, and I suspect, well, well I don't believe in uh, AI is ever going to happen. But I I think this kind of thing is is entirely possible. Um, if that's the case Then why would they ever leave that world Then you get Then you get something It's a horror mix between WALL-E and and, um, and The Matrix where our, our bodies are just These you know Digestive uh, uh, Systems They pump milkshake into our mouth right and and something takes away the, the 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 waste products and and the only thing that's actually happening to them in reality is their body's being kept alive so their mind can go out and be star explorers or star trek or whatever or handsome and rich and powerful this is this is why that the, the, the most interesting thing in the in the matrix movie by far by far was when um was when uh, joe peneleone with the trader is talking with Agent Smith that he's eating a steak, and he says, uh, maybe I'm eating slop, I don't know, and I don't care. This tastes like a steak to me, cipher, yeah. This tastes like a steak to me, and that's good enough. I cannot tell the difference, so I'll just stay here. I want you to set me up here where I can enjoy everything, and I don't care where I really am, because as far as I'm concerned, I'm in this restaurant eating this delicious steak what happens then? What happens? What happens when, and we're getting close. What happen, We're already at the point where people would rather experience the world through devices than they would go out and do it themselves, because you can go down the Grand Canyon, but you can watch it in virtual reality and not have to deal with the, mosquitoes are the heater and the rest of this stuff and you can pause it when you get to an interesting part if you want to so okay so w- what's the end game here for this what's the end game what's the end game? See, this is, this is why these people who are pursuing artificial intelligence anger me so much and again this is not anything I've ever heard anybody talk about if I went to a, if I went to a meeting of the top AI researchers in the world this is what I would ask them. I would say to them something along the lines of your entire life's passion has been to build a machine that's smarter than you, right? That's what you feel you're here on earth for. This is why you've studied so hard and all of the research and all of the thinking, all of the designing, all the failures, your entire life has been motivated to build a machine that's smarter than you are, right? That's what motivates you. Yeah, that's right. So what have you just... If you succeed what have you done to every generation of humans that comes after you what have you done what can they possibly hope to do that's not done better already by this machine of yours well they get to read poetry and they get to re- that's that's a that's a farm animal you you have spent your entire life emotionally pursuing Something that you wanted to do your entire career is the result of an emotional motivator, and you are now saying that if you succeed, there will be nothing to be motivated for, because there's nothing that a human being will be able to do that will come close to what's being done for them automatically. You have deprived the future of the future. You've 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 simply you have simply locked out any kind of ambition or any kind of motivation it, it 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 you 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 just it's not there you are now in an you're now you're in, in an, an animal reservation now you're 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 just in a, a reservation there there are things that take care of you and 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 maybe you're right maybe they'll take care of us forever but what what do we do if we build something that does everything that we do better than us, then what do we do after that? What do we do? Well, we sit around and we watch it. You're making assumptions about a piece of silicon, and your assumptions are based on your emotional reaction. You think that if you build... Your desire is to build a machine smarter than, than humans are because you're convinced that if that happens, then that machine we'll build a machine that's even smarter than it is, and that'll build a machine that's even smarter than this is, and then the full nature of intelligence will explode and and everything will be accessible to us and we'll know everything. But just let's just start at the beginning. You have an emotional drive to create this AI in the first place. What makes you think that the AI, if it ever happens, if you have a, a self-aware AI that's smarter than you are, What makes you think that the AI wants to pick up your life's work and continue it for you? What makes you think that? You're you're driven, you're driven by a biological, emotion-driven motivation, and you're building a machine that doesn't have emotions or biology. What makes you think that this smartest machine ever built wouldn't just want to essentially do the digital equivalent of going to the beach and having margarita for the rest of its existence? Why do you think that something smarter than you is going to automatically, without any question, not even going to discuss it, all that thing is going to do is pick up your life work where you left it and carry it off into the future right down the line that you thought it would go down? How freaking arrogant and, and, and short-sighted do you have to be to not see that? Everything you've done, everything you've done to create this world is done because of biology? You are biologically motivated. you want it. you want it. These things don't want things. I, I honestly don't understand how people can be that dense about things. I just don't I just don't get it. Marisha says humans are smarter than dogs, yet we sometimes do what they want. We sometimes do what they want to do, and even when we don't, it winds up making their lives better. So, okay, fair enough. Yes, I think that's probably fair. I think that my cat's lives are better than the lives of cats out on the street. They don't have freedom, but they don't have parasites, and they're taken care of, and they have food all the time. I think they live better lives than that. That's 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 true. But that is a master and servant relationship everything that happens with my cats is decided by me I am the author of their destiny I am I decide they don't have a say in it at all so it can't have it both ways Um, we created it we can destroy it I don't know about that I don't know about that. If chimps were able to build a man, once that man got out of the lab and had the electricity and the guns, and there's nothing the chimps could do about it, it's just—I've thought about this when I think about a, when I think about the AI issue. I, I, it's the same thing as Flatland. In order to mention a higher dimension, which is beyond our perception, the only way we can do it is to is to look at a lower dimension. And imagine if there was a two-dimensional world, what three dimensions would look like to them, and that gives us a shadow on the wall of what a fourth dimension would look like to us. So we, we kind of go down a level in order to, to, to at least make a, a stab at something that's that's above us. But what do you... I just don't see how... I don't want to be taken care of. I don't, I, don't, I don't find a life of endless recreation to be my idea of paradise. I kind of find it to be my idea of hell, to be perfectly honest with you. The most miserable I've ever been was when I had nothing to do. When I think about the number of years that I wasted with nothing to do, it makes me ill. But this is the essence of the human condition and when guys like elon musk confront the, these guys like uh sergey or whatever the the guys at, at um at google he says well what about humans what about our feelings and and, and this guy says here you're, you're a speciesist yeah i am actually i kind of like to think that that i'm in it for the for the good of humanity that's 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 the team i'm rooting for i'm not i'm not one of those people that walks around thinking they're better because they're rooting against the home team, you know? I, I just, it's the home team because it's the home team. But anyway, they just don't, they I've never heard them even discuss it, ever, ever, ever. Bill, if the AI is truly that much better, who's to say that it won't conclude that we humans need a bit of handcrafted strife to find meaning and purpose, contained chaos. Well, that is exactly what I worry about. I think any intelligence looking at this society and this species, and it's not just us, I think it's any, any species, would say the reason we're miserable is because we're too comfortable. And so the answer is to cause them a great deal of pain so that they'll appreciate things again. And when you look at people who've been through wars and stuff, they, they, the, it was horrible, but they look back on that as the most satisfying and in many ways happy time of their life. So maybe the AI will decide, well, in order for humans to be happy, we, we, better, we better start blowing up some of them. I don't want someone else to make that decision for me. And I certainly don't want something that's smart enough to be able to turn it on and off at leisure. I don't want my destiny in somebody else's hands. I don't want my destiny in my hands of somebody if they're smarter than me. I think if I could come back from 40, 50 years in the... Well, if I could go back, again, it's like the flat thing. If I could go back and talk to 20-year-old Bill... I'd have a lot to say to that guy, and I would, and I would use the fact that, look, we're the same person, right? I'm not trying to convince you of anything. I'm telling you that these things that you that I live through are bad for you. You should do other things. But if he did other things, then it wouldn't be me. Yeah, you get the idea. Anyway. What's that Bidenism? Anyway you 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 you, 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 know, you know what I mean anyway what day is it Joe uh, scroll up scroll up please It's Thursday uh, so anyway I'm wrapping this puppy up it's not too bad two and a half hours of lunatic babbling I hope you get your money's worth you miserable blood sucking parasites Uh The A war is to get rid of the fat and stupid. Yeah, unless they want fat and stupid or unless they want to get rid of all of it. If they behave like any other intelligence, the first thing they will do is defend themselves. And if humans are perceived as a threat, maybe they'll have to bide their time. Nevertheless, there may come a point when they just say, Use it or lose it, man. Who knows? Anyway, uh, I like to think that you can suffer vicariously. That if you study what people have gone through, like we started off with this conversation, like Pearl Harbor, and if you can, if you can, if you can read enough about it and immerse yourself in it to understand the horror of it and how lucky we are, I think that provides a, a kind of inoculation against against this thing. I think it gives you gratitude and. Uh, and a sense of wonder, you know, just like I don't have to go do that. No. Nope. Thank you. If you don't know what that is, then then it's just a bunch of people who came before you who don't know anything about how to, you know, they just they just really suck at Fortnite. Um Oh, hey, G.K. Masterson's going to be away for a few weeks at Trucker School. I've been following that kind of on the reflection, but good for her. That's wonderful. Glad to hear it. Uh, and here we are at the 238 marker, so I'm closing it down. Um, uh, shows made possible by the members of BillWhittle.com. You know who you are. and You carry your, carry yourself with a certain dignity and pride that, that people who are watching the show that aren't members will never know. And that's just between the two of us. I think the people that aren't members probably, if you're not a member watching this, it's probably because you're probably not good enough to get in. I mean, let's just be honest. You just, you just don't have, just don't have what it takes. I guess that's okay. That's right. No worries. Um, all right. So we uh, we will be here Monday night. I've got some uh, progress. A little bit of progress made on uh, on this computer animation stuff again. So maybe we can be talking about show business stuff on Monday, as if we uh, really meant it. And until then, um, try not to bite every hand uh, that tries to feed you. Just, just bite the ones that you probably recognize by now. If it, if it, if it smells like somebody who's gonna hurt you, bite them. But just take a second look if you're not sure.